This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! everyone and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. Every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on. And then we have a very cool guest from the episode that we like. We haven't hated any guests, to be honest. Yeah. I dare you to come on this podcast and let us hate you. Yeah. Or did you think we hated someone? Let us know. Why is this starting <laughs> so negative? This is our holiday episode. Christmas, New Year, yes. winter. Jingle winter. bells, everyone. I hope everybody's excited for, I don't know, at least some time off work. I don't know if you're not like religious, which many of us are not, or you don't celebrate Christmas. Uh, But I hope, you know, it's just like the end of the year, wind down, New Year's. I I just always find it to be like a fun time. I'm, of course, traveling cross country with my two children, so it will be a nightmare, but you know. But this year, (laughs) people seem festive as fuck because obviously last year was a little different. So there does seem to be like, I'm invited to a few holiday parties. That's not really what happens to me. I don't know. Maybe it's an LA thing, but I have holiday parties, people, but there's not a lot of decorations. My mom asks if the neighborhood is decorated and it's not. Well, it's going a little bit fast. I'm noticing it only because Rosie is obsessed with the holiday decorations because she was very upset when spooky season ended and like all the spooky decorations went down. So now I'm kind of redirecting her to be obsessed with like, you know, all the reindeer and snowmen that are out. And I'm noticing more and more houses every night are kind of popping up with some stuff. Like, I'll tell you off, Mike, but between you and me, the walk between you and me, there's a couple houses that are popping off. All right, all right. I'll look at that. (laughs) But you know what I was really reminiscing about? Like, holiday parties in elementary school. Like, that was so exciting. Was that a big moment for you? Wait, but do you just mean at school? Yeah. Yeah. So fun. And, like, candy canes and, like, little, those Hershey kisses that come in the red and the green 
um, wrapping. They taste the same, but there's something different. No, but I like the... Did you ever do the white kisses? Oh, the sure. Peppermint the peppermint And the peppermint ones. Yeah, yeah, Speaking yeah. Speaking of, so our mutual cleaning person, she, you know, I've always heard she brings gifts. She did bring me a gift. They are white marshmallow minty things. God, she knew how to get right to your heart. I know, but and I'll eat them. But without chocolate, mint's not a dessert. I just realized that. Like, because I love chocolate and mint so much, but without a little hint of chocolate, it is just like a toothpaste marshmallow. Hmm, interesting. I'm trying to think of anything I've had mint on. I do like mint tea, but yeah, that doesn't count as a dessert to me. No, not That's all. like when I have a cold. Oh, but you know what we should do? Let's make fucking s'mores with them with a chocolate and then they become a minty, chocolatey thing. That's a great idea. I only had a few of them. We should totally do that. Okay, great. I'm sure Rosie will want one too. For Christmas. I'm a Jew, but I love decorations. I love festivities and I love an American Christmas. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going um, with some American friends to their cabin, in, uh, which I think there'll be snow. So I'm excited. Oh, that's going to be great. I was just about to ask you what you were doing, but I forgot I know what you're doing. That's going to be really cozy. And that town that they live in is amazing. The mayor's a dog. I know. So I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> If a dog's running things. But you know what? I got to tell you, I think it's several dogs are the mayor. No, it's Mayor Max and he has a few friends. Oh, somebody told me that there were several dogs that are the mayor of that town. I thought recently. Like they switched them out and somebody was like, that's, oh, deputy mayors. Thank you, Annalise. Annalise (laughs) coming through with the deputy mayor. I forgot that dogs are allowed to deputize their friends. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) What are we talking about? Oh, my God. When I have a dog, it's going to be awesome. Oh, my God. I'm going to carry it everywhere. What's your dream? What's your dream little dog? Like a little mutt or like do you have a dream breed? I would I would find, um, like, I, w- I would adopt. I would not shop. But um, I know a person that's like a, like a dog specialist. I don't know. But he said tiny, tiny dogs that are cute are actually very easy to adopt because people buy them as an accessory and give them away pretty often. Mm. So it's actually not as hard to find like these sexy breeds that you might think you need to shop for. But I would want a Pomeranian, a weenie dog, a little chihuahua, like a little guy. And then one day... I love chihuahuas. Yeah. I would do a chihuahua. I'm never going to have a dog in my life, but if I did, I would have a chihuahua. But what I will tell you about wiener dogs, and I don't know if this is just anecdotal from a couple friends that have had them, they have horrible breath. Um, not that any dog is like you want to make out with them, but I've heard that wiener dogs have bad breath. That's interesting. I've been friends with a few. The Dalton's wiener dog loves carrots. Like that's his treat at the night. They drop like a half a carrot. Well, you remember my brother, (laughs) you've met my brother and I'm like, wait, when did you guys meet? And it's like, oh yeah, the night that the Dalton's wiener dog escaped and we were all on the streets of Hollywood (laughs) searching for a dog that is, by by the way, deaf. So you had to just spot the dog. The dog was not going to hear your voice calling his name. Yeah. That was, thank God we found that dog. I thought that the Daltons were going to die. Well, yeah, yeah. No, they, uh, rusty, but I, I want a corgi in my life. In your heart of hearts, you want a corgi. Wow, you're so royal. Yeah, I just like a little fuzzy idiot. Like I just, and like a smiling <laughs> little dope. And that's, uh, but uh, a corgi doesn't fulfill my fantasy of being able to bring it everywhere. So that'll be a later in life. Right, thing. right. Yeah, like 
look, I have a home. I'm a little, it's a little different. I might have some other people to help take care of. But sure, like, sure. Yeah. Cause you can't like throw a corgi in your purse and like go off. No. I, who knows? So I bet you money we are going to get some DMs of people with like their corgi in a reusable bag. Um, <laughs> but like corgis are the animals that I lose my shit over on the streets more often. Oh, Jared loves corgis. Yeah. Like when I see a corgi, I'm like, oh, like I get really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's so funny. Their center of gravity is so low. (laughs) Well, that's like a weenie dog too. And I like when they mix corgis with other... And then a Bernese mountain dog is awesome, but I refuse to pick up a big shit. Like that's not happening. Tiny, tiny. Pomeranian chihuahua. No, I think think Newfoundlands are very cute too, but it's like they drool their hairs everywhere. Like I I can't... I I would even do... As I said. A mini, like mini greyhound. I would do that. I would do like a wishbone. A Jack Russell Terrier wishbone. I would get one of those. Like a little guy. I want a little guy. Those those greyhounds are beautiful. Those little, they're so sleek and like beautiful. I don't know. I just love those little creatures. There's um, a cool photo of Kylie Jenner with a bunch of them. And it's a dream. It's a, it's a goal. Lifestyle goal. I just heard something where like they posed for her and Travis Scott, right? They posed for all these like photos together. But apparently in real life, they're like not... Um, a couple. They're just like co-parenting, but they're not together. I believe that. But like, if you're going to be in a fake relationship and just get sperm for someone, like, isn't there better people you could have gotten it from? Like, did they get along and date eventually? Like, what was it with maybe, Travis? She, well, I mean, she probably just wants her kids to have, be from maybe the same people. I know. But oh, so they were together. Yes. Yes, I think they were together. And like, maybe, oh no, people like Astro World. Never mind. He is very t- uh, To me, I'm just like, I don't know. He doesn't do the it. The Astro World thing was really bad. <laughs> well, that's what the album was called. I remember people really liked him. Um, yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I also don't know. Wait, he had an album called Astro World? Yeah. And but like baby, um, what the fuck is their baby's name? Stormy. Stormy at an Astro World, a Stormy World themed first birthday party. Like it is um, right. It's like a word he uses all the time or whatever. Oh, so that's why then, so that's what the festival's named after. I didn't understand yeah, that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. No, it's fucked up and these people are just bad people. Like him denying it. Alec Baldwin saying it's not his fault anymore and he didn't pull the trick. It's like, what is up? Like you guys did terrible things, feel bad. It's the Erica Jane of it all. It's like, if you're not taking accountability over what you've done, I don't, fuck you. I don't know. Yeah. Fuck this you. holiday season, take accountability for the crimes that you've committed. <laughs> That's our message from That's Messed Up. <laughs> I do have a gingerbread uh, dress and it's like, which party am I going to wear it to? Oh, yes. Well, we're doing something this week that you were considering wearing it to, right? But yeah. Maybe or the comp, the, there'll be a store party and that, or do I save it for Christmas? But I do need to wear, cause I don't know if it's too early, like weeks uh, that we're taping this ahead of time, you know, cause of the holidays, you guys get it right. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> by now you probably already saw the gingerbread dress on Instagram. Um, and you know that I wore it. Yeah. Well, I listened to a podcast called Rana and Beverly forever that I was obsessed with. And they used to always say, we're in the time machine. We're in the time machine. Like they would always, talk about like when they were taping versus like their interviews would be like off of the time like of when you think something happened they're like we're in the time machine just so sometimes you guys have to understand that we're in the time yeah machine. because uh you know Kara went away for Christmas we'll see what happens um, yeah but I mean I just can't believe your siblings won't even do a secret Santa Colin if you're listening Colin. what the fuck Actually, no, I'll say Colin was kind of pro it was my brothers David and Kevin and my sister Caitlin that were like no 
I don't get it. I think Kevin has two kids and he's like, I got enough going on. And David's like, just paid off all of his student. My brother is debt free, just paid off all his student loans. I'm so happy for him. Um, Such a sick world that that's I th- like. I know. I know. He's like in his mid, early mid thirties. And he's like, isn't that sad that we all, we all celebrated it on a text thread together. But anyway, um, what is your, um, what's the something that you're looking forward to doing at Christmas? Is there like a Christmas song you like? Is there a Christmas treat you like? What What's your Christmas thing? Um, I just, I love any holiday where the point of the holiday is to lay around, eat, drink, <laughs> and do nothing. So yeah. <laughs> um, I want hot chocolate with peppermint schnapps. Like that's definitely Ooh. something that I need to do. Um, I know that my friend is going to be making some sort of Italian seafood soup on Christmas Eve. But I'm looking forward to being in the mountains, snow, lounging, hot chocolate. You know, I love a gift. Um, stockings. Uh, maybe we'll, I don't know if we'll watch The Family Stone, but that's the movie I like the most. Yeah. Oh, you like that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. That's, that's the best one. But, and I'm going to be on Brian Moylan's podcast, 12 Gays of Christmas. Um, I'll be talking about stepmom, a little different. And what are you excited about this holiday season? Uh, you know, I'm excited that my kids are going to meet their little cousins. Like, they've met once, but, like, I've never met my one of my nephews. I've never met him yet. He's 18 months old. I've never met him. 19 months old. And uh, I'm excited for, like, the ex- like, the kid excitement about Christmas is so cute. Like, uh, you know, for a long time for me, it was like I went home. My mom got me some stuff. I was like, great, where's the receipt? I need to return it. And then, you know, I would just get really drunk with my family. And now I'm just going to like, you know, put my kids to bed, get really drunk with my family and then watch them be happy about presents. So I think it'll be, it's just a reverse order of operations, but it'll be fun. And I'm going to see some friends at home and I'm hoping to go into the city one night um, and see our friend Allison, whose birthday it is. She's got one of those, she's a Jew with a very close to Christmas birthday. So I'd like to go see her for her birthday and, uh, my little, my brother's gonna have a little holiday party. So yeah, we like to drink. We like to tie one on. And then I go and I detox over in West Virginia with Jared's family because they don't drink really. Well, yeah, because um, I love Great Lakes Christmas Ale, but I already had some this year. So in Chicago. So that's, Ooh. that's set up. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm also buying, uh, Lindsay Adams makes cookie butters and I'm, I ordered uh, some cookie butter from her. Oh, I saw those on her Instagram. Delicious looking. Oh, my Lord. So I'll do that. I'm excited. I'm just, I like, I did not grow up with Christmas. So to me, like any version of an American thing, if I could wear a flannel, some slippers, go in the, I just yeah, like, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah, And my friends have amazing dogs that really, um, we bond. So I'm excited. What will to your parents like be doing on Christmas? It's like any other day for them. They'll just like live their lives. Yeah. I mean, if I was home, we would have gone to the movies, but like, I don't think they'll do anything out of the ordinary. My sister's going to Mexico, but what's coming out at Christmas that's good because I love to go to the movies on Christmas. I saw Django on Christmas. I've seen a lot of Christmas. I saw the favorite at Christmas, I think, or maybe Thanksgiving, one of the two. I would love to see something on Christmas. Anything coming out? I have no idea. If it's okay. not House of Gucci, I have no idea. But also, <laughs> I feel kind of uh, like a loser because I didn't think it was that bad. And everyone I've talked to or any podcast I listen to, they're like, it's ab- an abomination. Gaga's humiliating herself. Don't even see it. It's not even good, bad. And I'm like, 
I don't know. I gave it a six. I don't care. I had a good time. Well, I wonder if it's like, you know, sometimes it's tone that misses it. You know, like if you're saying, oh, it's camp, it's supposed to be like kind of over the top and other people are watching it like it's an Oscar contender, you're going to have different opinions, you know? What Michelle Collins said that I will give to her is that how do you make Italy not look beautiful? Like, this is a movie about a legendary fashion house in one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Why didn't we see fashion or Italy in that way? Did they not shoot it in Italy because of COVID or something? I wonder if it's like shot in other places or something. I have no idea. Yeah. That's that's above my head, um, yeah. above my pay grade. <laughs> Your pay grade as a Hollywood location scout. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, 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 like I said, like everyone knows, I fell fully asleep for most of House of Gucci. So I'm planning to hopefully watch it again. Oh my God. You know what everyone's probably break. thinking? What? We're recording the Sex in the City reboot has premiered already. Oh my God. You guys are probably like, what are these bitches doing? They're not even mentioning Sex when in the City. When does it come out? Tomorrow. Okay, so we'll talk about it next week. On New Year. We're in the time machine. We're in the time machine, but um, you guys are probably listening week after week being like, these bitches aren't even going to mention Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> um, but uh, Mr. Big, Chris Noth, just did an interview defending Sarah Jessica. About what? Against Kim Cattrall. Oh, wait, what did Kim Cattrall say? I don't even know the new Nothing boss. new. There's nothing new, but oh. he was just like, he just recently was like, nothing she said was true and Sarah Jessica's the best and I'm very protective of her and like, the thing is, too, I love Kim Cattrall and I want her to thrive and I want her to do great. I did see her scatting with her husband on a 60-minute special like many of us did. So you wonder, you know, is everything okay? But she is like, Sarah Jessica Parker's like up there with like Mershka Hargitay level of like the way people have that were, have worked with her, everyone loves her. So it's kind of hard to come out against somebody like that's pretty much universally revered. Yeah. A true dream of a woman. Okay. Let's get started. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and happy holidays and a happy uh well we'll we'll talk to you guys before the new year but we we want everyone to have a, a joyous holiday season whether or not you celebrate. Um let's get going. We've got a good I don't know. I've been, I mean we've got a a hot Christmas episode for you. All right, deck the halls with lots of sex crimes. Okay, so we are doing today one of what I can, I, I think the only Christmassy episode I could find, we, any, we could find, right? Like, I mean, this is called Presumed Guilty, season 14, episode 10. It aired January 2nd of 2013, so it's a little bit after the holidays, but it's uh, very Christmassy. That's so against TV rules. I they know. always do it before. That's so I know. weird to do a January Christmas episode. Yeah. So we open this episode on an absolutely disgusting concept, which is a Christmas party in a morgue. I'm uh, not. I'm not into it. There's literally food spread out where Warner is usually pulling a liver out and putting on a scale, and like now we're like. And we've seen burned ass fingers get rehydrated. And now it's like, would you like some prosciutto? Like, no, thank you. I'm RSVPing no to this party. Like, you guys need to rent out the back of an olive garden or something. Don't you think? What is happening? Well, I don't know if the Emmys, it's their part. Like, there's a few holiday parties. Maybe it's not the official (laughs) SVU. Yeah. This is the morgue's party. And maybe their budget's tighter. I don't know. I have no idea. I'd rather you all be crammed into fucking Warner's apartment than watch this go down. I didn't even notice. Uh, uh, 
Literally. Like, I've next- watched this episode like three times for this and I um, didn't even notice that that was weird. <laughs> the whole gang is in the fucking morgue. Rollins is leaning up against those literal sliding thingies, the doors where the bodies come out. She's leaning up against one. And there's a fucking, there's a fucking skeleton with a Santa hat on. Like they're trying to be cute about it. And they are. They I'm are embarrassed. trying to be cute about I'm it. I'm embarrassed. I didn't notice. <laughs> well, especially somebody who notices Halloween. You always notice the date on the cards and you're like, two days before Halloween, where are the decorations? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Rollins is leaning up against a fucking literal dead body being chatted up by a dork. And the first thing I think is, I know this guy. And it turns out I do know this guy. I did work on a show called The Naked Brothers Band on Nickelodeon um, with the Wolf Brothers who are kind of famous now. Like one of them is the boy from Hereditary. The other one is the boy from like Paper Towns and like from Admission, the Tina Fey movie. And this guy named Daniel Raymont was in that show, on that show. So I do sort of know him. And you can also all drink because I revealed another job that I've had that you probably didn't know about. <laughs> um, so uh, he is the driver for the Emmy's office and he drives the hearse, I guess. And he's really trying to connect with Amanda who is like got classic, get me the fuck out of here face. And oh, and I point out the skeleton here and I'm like, this is what Rosie would call a schoolatin. She's very obsessed with all the spooky stuff from Halloween and calls skeletons schoolatins. So Rollins tries to get Finn to help her out. Like she kind of is giving like a guy code SOS thing to him. And he's like, she's like, don't we have to finish those DD5s? And he's like, nah, you go for it, playa. Like he just fully bad friend to dry. Like bad friend, bad friend, but also very funny. Um, <laughs> So now Melinda and Liv are just a couple of gals gabbing it up at the holiday party. And um, Liv reveals that she's off to the Bahamas on Christmas Eve with, quote unquote, a friend. Ooh, very uh, sexual uh, vacation for Olivia Benson. And I think we all know who it is. Is it Tucker? No. I think we're supposed to all think it's Cassidy. Got it. Yeah. So now we're at a house with a ton of kids opening presents. and a How woman- is Cassidy affording his Bahamas vacation? Oh, fuck if I know. I don't know. Overtime? I don't know. Um, this is like after, I believe this is right after the whole Captain Cragen thing with Bart Ganzel and all that stuff where he was undercover with Bart Ganzel and all that. So um, in the next scene, we're at a house and there's a ton of kids opening presents and a woman is sitting next to a priest being like, thanks for doing this, Father. And the priest is played by Dennis O'Hare, who is a classic character actor and a member of the Ryan Murphy universe. If you watch any of the American Horror Stories or stuff like that, he's always in that stuff. And he is playing Father Shea. That's his uh, character's name. And the woman, like, points out this doll and is like, ooh, must be for a special girl. And he's like, it is a very special girl. And like immediately you have alarm bells because like this conversation is weird. I don't think anyone would talk with a priest like that about a child anymore. But like, it's also 2013. I guess Spotlight didn't come out until 2015, but it seems like we've been knowing about the Catholic Church being terrible for a long time. But um, uh, you were, you were going to say something, Lisa? Oh, I my breath was like, uh, where you're like... Uh, I guess it, it's been going on for a while. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I a guess. hack. The fact that like, it is hack to make jokes about priests raping kids. Like that is how often and it happens and how dated it is. Like it, it is a hacky premise. Yeah. 
That's how many priests are raping children constantly that it's just like, oh, come on. You don't have better material? Yeah, like it already had its full upward trajectory into the public consciousness, hit its tipping point, and then went over to the point where now it's like, come on, man, that's an old joke, even though it's (laughs) probably still happening every day. Anyway, um, so now Father Shea is in his car. A little girl comes running up and she's like, Father, I forgot to give you your Christmas card. She hops right into the car with him. Again, weird. Then we cut to a little scene with Amaro and he's with his daughter, Zara, who I'm sorry to say, love little kids. This is not the best actress we've seen. Remember when they were doing the episode about uh, about the American Idol type show with Billy Porter? And he, she was like, how do I be a singer? And he goes, practice. And she goes, you're silly, daddy. She's just not a good actress. Um, Fuck this kid, Zara. Yeah. <laughs> we hope your IMDb is You and baby growing. Noah go take a trip to fucking Disney World and get out of my face. Um, so... She gives her dad a Christmas list and it is extensive. Like, I don't think she understands how much money her dad makes. She's like, I want a bike, an iPad mini, a puppy, and I want mommy and daddy to be together. It's like, "Mm, how about just the dog? So back at the car, this little girl is like giving Father Shay the full rundown of the Christmas card. Like, this is this, this is that. Her name is Sophia. And he gives her a big hug and is like, you're very special, Sophia. Thank you for my card, whatever. And just as he's giving her this big hug, someone shows up to the a passenger side window and starts crowbarring it, like smashing it in. He tells Sophia to run. A guy pulls Father Shea out of the car and starts beating the shit out of him. Um, back at Amaro's, we're, you know, we're flip-flopping back to Amaro's place. He's on the phone with Maria, his ex we find out that Zara's headed to D.C. on Christmas Eve to be with her mom. So, you know, Amaro's going to be alone with his anger. Um, So now, back at the crime scene, they're wheeling Father Shea onto an ambulance, and there's a black man in a beanie leaning up against the the car, and he's explaining to a cop, like, someone jumped this priest, and then the crowd, the crowd is like, nah, nah, this is the guy who attacked the priest, and he stole the presents. And I'm like, if so, where are the presents? Where are the presents he stole? He's right here. Where are the presents? Wow. You You should join the squad. Yeah, I'm mad at these neighbors. So they're all saying that the opposite happened, that this guy is the one that that beat up the priest and that two guys stopped the guy from beating up the priest and then ran off. And so the guy in the beanie is like, it wasn't me, I swear, and my brother-in-law is on the job, okay? So back at the creepy morgue party, Finn's ex-wife, Teresa, Lisa Gay Hamilton, right? That's her? Yeah. She shows up looking for If Finn. you remember her from Sex in the City, she's Miranda's neighbor with the baby who won't stop crying, who gives her the vibrating chair. Yes. Kendall is the baby or the woman? I'm Ken and Amika. It's like Amika and Kendall, but I don't yeah, know who's yeah, who. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Finn's wife shows up looking for Finn. So we're starting to figure out that the guy they arrested is Sam Randall. He's Teresa's brother, Finn's ex-wife. So he's Finn's ex-brother-in-law. She rushes up to Finn, who, I don't know if you clock this, is maybe flirting with Warner. Like, they're leaning up against the morgue, like, wall together. She has her hand on his fucking shoulder. Oh my she's God. giggling. And when the when she sees the ex-wife, she's kind of like, oh, like, her face changes. I'm saying, watch it again. Like, it's very... I think something's up. And I something bet they up. fucked. You know what? Now that you mention this, why wouldn't, why wouldn't they have fucked? Yeah. Like... It's it's very flirty Christmas, you know, and also those Christmas vibes of like, Ugh, it's cold, it's the end of the year, why the fuck not? We'll, we'll all be on a long break and probably forget about it. There'll be no awkwardness when we come back to work. 
No, now I'm. We need some fan fiction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to the to the listeners. We would love yeah. some fan fiction of Melinda and Ice getting it all. And maybe their couple name could be Tutuuni. No, to um, Tutuoni. Warner. Tutu Warner. So Teresa, Finn's ex-wife, tells him what's up and he's kind of like, yeah, he's a deadbeat. He's in and out of jail. And she's like, he didn't do it, Finn. He's been obsessed with spending Christmas with his son for the first time in six years. He's really turned his life around. And like, uh, Finn's kind of like, he's been on parole for nine months. Like, of course he's back in trouble. Like, and then basically Teresa gets a phone call from Ken and has to roll. Because we all know Ken, Finn's son, is like, you know, the one that keeps everybody in the family together. So Finn's like, family's complicated, and then we roll right into those credits. So now, Finn and Rollins are headed over to see what's going on, and he's kind of downloading Rollins on what's up, and she's sort of kind of like, well, you know, it could be a wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Like, I don't know if I need to explain to you, a black man, that sometimes this happens. And uh, he's basically like, Sam's been on parole since March. He's been in and out of jail for auto theft, breaking and entering. And Rollins is like, you know, people can change. And he's like, yeah, but you don't get your ass kicked for nothing. So at the precinct, because I believe they're in Brooklyn or the Bronx, they're in another jurisdiction. At the precinct, Sam is handcuffed to like a railing. And he's like, what I'm guilty of is being black. And it's like, he's right. Like literally this crowd of people were like, it was the black guy that did it. And like the cop just believed the crowd of people. So he explains that he was trying to save the priest. These guys were calling him short eyes and chomo, which chomo I've heard before on this show as a slang for child molester. I'd never heard short eyes. And I looked it up and it is like an old slang for child molester. I don't really know what that, where that comes from, but I'm sure maybe we'll your out. eyes are on short little kids. Yeah, like your or, your eyes go down to see small people. Yeah, yeah. Finn's like, you just made up that child molester part because you know I'm in SVU, and he's like, no, it's a truth. And then he tells them also about this little girl who he saw running away from the scene, and he's like, listen, I don't need a car. And I don't want to go back to jail. Why would I do this? And like, that's making a lot of sense. Like, what's the motive here? Like, there were no presents stolen. He didn't need the car. So, like, also, if you're going to carjack someone, you kind of just throw them out of the car and drive away. You don't sit there and beat the fuck out of them for, like, 20 minutes until two guys pull you off. No, I get where ICE is coming from here. But it's like, I always hate when the detectives are not open-minded and have made their decision and are just, like, beating against a dead bush. I don't know. Like, it's uh, it's one of my most, uh, when I'm most irritated is when yeah. the detectives abandon their, like, pursuit of the evidence and developing their point of view and just go in guns right. blazing with what they think happened. Well, so anyway, Sam is like, I really got to get home for Christmas. Like, you got to help me out. So then they go talk to the cop who arrested him. And he's like, this is pretty open and shut. The witnesses said it was him. And Rollins is like, witnesses can be wrong. And then she's like, where are these two guys? They took off. They're supposed to be good Samaritans and they split. That's kind of weird. And then like the priest is unconscious and the cop knows nothing about the girl. At the crime scene, things are continuing to not look good for Sam. Like, 911 callers say they saw a black man, but they can't ID the guys who ran away. And CSU hasn't even processed the crime scene because they're basically just calling it, like, a carjacking, and it's a few days before Christmas. Like, it's just not a priority for them. So Liv's like, okay, let's have Warner send some texts out. And Finn's like, you guys don't need to help me this much. Like, I divorced into this situation. So then they open the car. They find the card signed from Sophia. And then they also live clocks a security cam. 
So let's go check that footage. They look at the footage and the attack itself is not on camera, but you it does fit the timeline. Like you see Sam seeing something and running towards it. And like that obviously looks like someone going to help someone. And now uh, fi- finally someone goes, let's look into the priest. What's his deal? You know, like we're hearing priest and child molester. It's not our first rodeo here at SVU. Like let's figure out what his background is. They discover he's worked at an orphanage in Guatemala. He's been to Boston, Chicago, Staten Island, Inwood. We all know a priest that moves around a lot is not a great sign. In a car late at night with a little girl, like Olivia's pointing this all out. And it's like, thank you, Olivia. Someone's finally kind of getting a getting a beat on what's going on with this fucking priest. Um, the hospital calls to say that the priest is awake. And Amaro's like, me and Finn will go talk to him. You two go talk to Barba. And then they're like, we would, but Barba is skiing in Gestad. And uh in my imagination, he's with Sonia Morgan, who, yes. who <laughs> that's where my brain went. Very obsessed with Stad, and so that's where he is. And it's like so perfect Stad, too. Up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stad up to <laughs> soccer team. <laughs> um, so like it's just funny to me because Barbara is so bougie that it's fun. like he, of course, it's like yeah, lives going to the Bahamas. Barbara's going to Stad, you know? So anyway, I also, I mean, I guess it's Christmas, but like for me, I'm always, I want to go tropical. Like I can't imagine doing an Aspen or a Swiss weekend, like, yeah. or wherever Gestad is. Like I-, I would never leave a cold place and go to another cold place. Right, right. Well, do you ski? Absolutely not. Same. I've never put skis on in my life, so. I'll sit in a hot tub and watch people ski. Sure, yeah. Oh, I'm into the après ski very deeply. Like I yeah. would love <laughs> some hot chocolate, some red wine, and some hot tubbing. And I like to ice skate. I don't know if that's ever an option. I (laughs) love ice skating. I didn't know that about you. Let's get a rink and let's go. Let's go ice skating. Let's go fucking ice skating. There's got to be free skates or rentals. For sure. We have to go ice skating. Yes, for sure. Maybe one of the last times I ice skated was in Vegas because the Cosmopolitan has a rink at Christmas time. We have to go ice skating. No children, though. No, 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 no. I don't okay. want to teach Rosie how to ice skate yet. It's not That's yet. not even not fun. Yet. That's just like me holding a dead body around the ice rink for like two hours. <laughs> Being um, terrified. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, uh, they're like, okay, Barbara's out of town. So let's go sweet talk whichever ADA is like covering for him over the holidays. So we cut to a walk and talk with this guy. And hell yeah, it's fucking Todd from Zoolander. I love this actor. He is also from The Comeback. And he is so, so funny, but he's very serious in this one. And he is not buying what Rollins and Liv are selling. But I do love his attitude, even though he's, like, wrong. I like his, like, he's sort of just like, "Uh uh-uh, you know, even though he's wrong. So he's like, I'm not going to ROR a guy who's on parole and lives, like, this is a family matter. And he's like, okay, peace. You should not have even fucking mentioned that. I'm not helping you now. Meanwhile, they're talking to the priest, Finn and Amaro. And he's like, look, this kind of stuff happens this kind of time of year. People are desperate. I forgive whoever did this and I don't want to press charges. So he sees the picture of Sam and they're like, is this the guy who attacked you? And he's like, no, this is the guy who saved me. And he's like, I can't describe at all the other guys. I can't make out their faces in my memory, but I know this is the guy who saved me. So 
Um, they're like, who's the little girl? And he's like, Sophia Santiago, her mother Margarita is the secretary at the parish. And he's basically like, I used to be a priest at this parish. I'm back in town visiting. He lives in Guatemala presently, I guess. And he just comes back to town every Christmas to visit his sister for the holidays. And he likes to pop in on his old parishioner. So that's why he was at this little holiday party giving all these kiddos presents at the beginning of the episode. So now Finn and Amaro show up at the arraignment where Sam is entering a not guilty plea and they show the ADA this signed statement from Father Shea saying like, this man did not like attack me. And the ADA is like, I don't know you, bitch. He's like, I don't know if this is legit. I can't show this to a judge. Like you could have coerced him into this confession, which I I guess that is playing by the book. I wish that it was like a little bit more, I feel bad for Sam, but um. And they can't speak to the arresting officer in the case because he already left for vacation in the Dominican Republic. Poor Sam's son, Dante, is in the courtroom and he's like, it's very heartbreaking. The ADA requests remand since he's a repeat offender on parole and he allegedly attacked a clergyman. I don't know why it matters. Uh, but, you know, obviously judges are probably going to feel some kind of way more about clergymen than they do about regular people. Yeah, it's another profession where you wear a robe, you have complete power and control, and you can't be fired, and you can commit as many crimes as you want and be a hypocrite. Yeah. yeah. Judges and priests are very similar. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my gosh. So true. So, basically, the judge grants remand, and now Sam is going to be in jail over the holidays. And Dante is so really cute. And Get he asks, a soul. Get a soul. Who, I know. Like, what the fuck? These people are just cold-blooded. I guess I to know. be a fucking prosecutor, you have to be. I don't know. Yeah. So, Dante is like, please, Finn, help my daddy get out of jail for Christmas. So, now we kind of are like, you know, working against a clock to try to get Sam out of jail for the holidays. And it's he's a cute kid. So, um, Finn is basically like telling Teresa, his, his ex-wife, what's up? He's like, look, you're on parole. You don't jump into a fight. You call 911. And it's really sad that there are so many reasons like this where that people have to not help other human beings. Like your parole status, your immigration status. Like there's so many reasons why people just walk by or they just videotape something, you know, that that are reasons kind of beyond their control in some situations. So then Finn and Rollins go off to talk to little Sophia. And then Liv and Amaro go talk to the current priest of the parish, whose name is Menendez. And they're kind of asking him, like, what's the story with Father Shea? Why did he leave? And he's like, honestly, it was just because our parish got smaller and smaller and he was needed elsewhere. So uh, Margarita is the woman from the beginning who was saying, oh, this must be for a special girl or whatever. And um, she says, Sophia has been with Father Shea alone many times. He's known her forever. There's no way he could have molested her. And she's pretty positive. And she's like, just because of a few priests, everyone assumes the worst. And it's like, babe, this bad apple theory is not going to win you any fans. She explains that Sophia has no dad and she liked having Father Shea around her like as a father figure. And she's like, you've got them all wrong. And Liv's like, this bitch is in denial. And Amara's like, uh, but maybe the Catholic church is good. Like, and it's kind of awkward because you can tell Amara is Catholic. Um, so <laughs> they talk to Sophia. She's super cute. And she's, and the mom's like, yeah, honey, isn't Father Shea so amazing? And, you know, this is a, this is like a little bit of, you can't tell whether the little kid's like taking cues from her mom or not. They kind of make this muddy on purpose. And she says the bad guys who beat up Father Shea spoke Spanish and were wearing hoodies. And she said the good guy was a black guy who tried to save Father Shea. So another witness coming forward to corroborate Sam's story. At the medical examiner's office, Melinda is coming through with a favor for them, checking on the evidence from the car. 
They find the blood from the two perps and one of their fingerprints actually popped and it's Adam Benitez, who is two times convicted of assaulting registered sex offenders. Sorry. Offenders. Offenders. (laughs) So then, to back up my point from earlier, Finn goes, thank you, Melinda. And she goes, Merry Christmas, Detective Tutuola. If you are not sensing the sexual tension, I'm telling you it's fucking there, Okay. I was, I was, I cannot believe that I've never clocked this in my life before. But anyway, so Rollins. This might be like my purple thing and we're going to forever now, like read into every interaction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now there's going to be like scenes where we'll be like, is that a picture of of Warner and Finn's wallet? Um, So anyway, Rollins and Finn go to track down this guy, Benitez, who is a Salvation Army Santa. And for some reason, there are four Salvation Army Santas, one on every corner, and they don't know which one it is. So they just say his name. They're like, Benitez. And he bolts, and Rollins fucking tackles him. Like, And it's it's just a funny visual, and I really enjoyed it. Um, And it turns out, they bring him in, and it turns out he was molested by his uncle at age eight, and he was a transit cop, and no one believed him. Horrible. Obviously, people in power who, again, a uniform protects them. And he doesn't feel bad about beating up pedophiles. And he said he was there with his friend. And this priest assaulted this guy's sister. And they need the name of the guy. And uh, they basically, he gives up his friend's name, Enrique Rodriguez. And he is a garbage man played by Theo Rossi, a.k.a. Juice from Sons of Anarchy, if you've ever watched Sons of Anarchy. So he says that Shay rapes little girls and basically the cops are bringing him in and they're like, we need Father Shay to ID these two guys in order to get Sam out. So then when we come back from what I assume is a commercial, but I wouldn't know because I do now pay for Hulu Unlimited. Um, (laughs) When we get back from this alleged commercial, Father Shay is arguing with the Monsignor uh, Menendez and he's going, no, not this time. And when Liv and Amaro show up, they kind of zip their lips. And then they find a one-way ticket to Guatemala that, I don't know, is sitting on the bed or he's like handing it to him and lives like, what's going on? We'd kind of prefer if you didn't go anywhere since you're a huge part of this active investigation. And he's basically like, can you come and ID these uh, suspects that we have? And then they do a little bit of digging and they find out that this one-way ticket was purchased by, surprise, surprise, the Archdiocese. They go to talk to Enrique. Uh, They get Enrique's full story on tape. And he's basically explaining that his sister Angelica was 12 when the abuse started. He was 16. And his mom thought they would all be safe at Catholic school. But then something went on with Angelica. She started drinking, smoking pot. His mom said she was a sinner. And then... um, He said, Angelica gets crazy at the holidays. She came to Thanksgiving stoned. So I went off on her. She broke down and said he's never been there for her before, especially the Christmas when she was 13 and she got pregnant and he made her have an abortion. And he says he never knew any of this stuff. And all that time uh, with Father Shea, he thought that she was was being counseled by him. And he said it happened uh, because she was evil and that she seduced him. So Father Shea said he was trying to exercise her sex demon. That's what that's what Enrique is saying. Like that, you know, the reason he was raping this teen girl is to exercise her sex demon. Wild. Wild stuff in that Bible of yours. So Liv says, if your sister can corroborate, a jury would understand why you did what you did. And he says, no, no, no. Angelica's in rehab. She's a mess. Ask Shea yourself. He'll confess to what he did, I'm sure. 
Meanwhile, Finn and Rollins try to get Sam out, and this pissy ADA guy will not budge. And he's like, you got to get Father Shea to ID the actual guys who did it, which seems insane because they have both confessed. So it seems weird that you would also need an identification. And um, the two witnesses are also saying that he was a good Samaritan. So I would think he would be covered by a New York good Samaritan law. Like, remember the Seinfeld finale when they violated the, the good Samaritan law? But like, I think if you jump in to help someone, you're covered by a good Samaritan law. So it's weird that he's so stuck in jail, but also it's a broken system. So at the identification, at the lineup, Father Shea's like, I don't want to send anyone to jail. Like, I won't testify, but he he eventually IDs Enrique to save Sam because he knows he kind of has to do it to get this innocent man who helped him out of jail. But he's like, I won't testify. And I think Enrique deserves forgiveness. And Liv gives him a filthy side eye and then brings up Angelica. Then they cut to them showing Enrique's video confession to Father Shea. And he's going, no, 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 no. But he's also saying, God, forgive me. And then they go to another commercial break, like on a very confusing vibe. Like what's going on? Like he's saying, no, he's saying this didn't happen, but also saying, God, forgive me. So what is up? This is a packed fourth act, by the way, this last act of the episode for how SVU usually goes down. There's no, uh, not a lot of, trial stuff in this episode. So anyway, Finn and Rollins uh, go pay a visit to Angelica. Um, They tell her she could help Enrique if she testifies that she was abused and ID the abuser. And then they bring a bunch of priests in for a lineup, which I do not understand why that's necessary. Like, she knows the name of the priest who assaulted her. She was a member of his church. Like, it's not a stranger danger situation. Like, okay, who's the guy that hit you, hit your car and then ran away? Like, you know this man, name him. So she could have just named him. But anyway, they undo, they they show the lineup. Father Shea's in the lineup. She goes, oh, number four is Father Shea. And they're like, oh, so he's the one that attacked you? And she's like, no, he is not the one who did it. And then when they're talking to Father Shea, he's going, if Angelica won't say what happened, I won't say either. So we're like, what is going on here? And he says, she confessed to him. And so that's a confession and that's protected. And Amaro's like, you're not allowed to use confession to cover up a crime. So he knows he's kind of getting cornered. Um, Rollins and Liv are still talking to Angelica and she's like, this priest made me get an abortion, but it wasn't Father Shea. Father Shea found me bleeding after my abortion and helped me. And I, she confessed everything to him and she's really apprehensive about telling them like who, what the name is of the person. Okay. Father Shea knows who molested Angelica, but tells Amaro that he can't tell him because of his vows. Wait, BT dubs, have you seen Shea Coulee's The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? It's very sexual Grinch. How much makeup is that? Because she has another number in that show. Like, for one number, getting into full Grinch makeup and then dancing so sexy. I like, (laughs) what? I think she wore a Grinch thing on uh, Drag Race at one point. I don't remember that. Maybe it was the Christmas special. Maybe. I think I've seen her in a Grinch thing on television, but I don't, I'm not sure. But I definitely but saw that. It is the so Instagram. good. The yeah. dance is so good. So, you know, she, she is a Christmas doing, like, queen. Sort of sexy monsters all the time. It's yeah. really funny. Yeah. <laughs> she also recently in her stories, I couldn't believe it, started singing a jingle. Oh, I told you this, a jingle from Chicago, a fur, a fur store. <laughs> Feel the warmth of luxury. That you deserve, Andriana Furs. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like, my mind exploded when I saw her singing that. 
Uh, anyways, get back to these molesting priests, confessions, secrets, yes. Enrique, yes. Angelica, Sophia, it's the holidays, so many. Baby. It's the holidays. Sam, we gotta flirting. talk about priests. So oh my um, God. basically, Father Shea says he knows who molested Angelica, but tells Amaro that he won't tell him who it is because of his vows. And he's like, I promise this bad priest swore he wouldn't do it anymore. And Amaro's kind of like, come on, dog. Like, first of all, that's not true. And second of all, I can't take your word for that shit. Like, I'm doing my job here. And Amaro's like putting on the pressure and he's like, you're covering up for a pedophile. And he's like, who could mean this much to you? Like, why would this mean so much to you to not like turn this person in? And basically it hits Amaro and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, father. So essentially, Amaro figures it out that they're looking at the wrong sin and that Father Shea, twist, is Sophia's dad. The reason he's covering this all up is because he doesn't want it to get out that he committed an indiscretion as a priest, fathered a child. That hurts Margarita. That hurts Sophia. That hurts him. Like, it's just like he wants it to keep it all in. No, I'm sorry. I don't. It's not about all these people. It's about him. He wants to keep being a priest. Right. But what happened was Menendez, the Monsignor, he knew about this because Margarita confessed to him that they were in love. So Shay went to Menendez and Menendez said, can you hear my confession? And he told Father Shay what he did to Angelica. And then he said, once he confessed to me, I, I was bound by my vows. Again, I still don't think you're allowed to cover up crimes in a confession, but maybe I'm wrong. Like, I think, like, there's doctor-client privilege, but if there's a crime, you have to report it. I don't, I, I think, but... Um, and Olivia's like, you endangered other girls, but he's like, he promised he would never do it again. And Liv's like, were you born yesterday? Pedophiles are great at lying. He goes, no, Margarita keeps an eye on him. And I come back every year for 10 years to hear his confession. And I really don't think he's hurt anyone else since Angelica. It's like, okay, dude. Um, and she's like, you are legally obligated to report a crime and you have to testify against Menendez. And, uh, he kind of understands that that's what's up. And, Amaro's like, your transgression is going to come out. So maybe you want to give your little baby girl, Sophia, a heads up. So now Enrique is talking to Angelica, explaining to him that it wasn't Father Shea. And he assumed because Father Shea got sent away, that that's what happens when there's a pedophile priest. And I just feel very bad for Enrique and Angelica. Like Angelica's like, he got the wrong priest. Can you let him out? And they're like, that's not how it works, girl. Like, it's just very sad. Like, they're just two people that are very broken by the greedy actions of pedophile men. So Finn is on the phone with Teresa being like, I know it's Christmas Eve. I'm working on this nonstop. She hangs up on him. It's like, okay. But then Finn gets an idea. He shows up to the judge's house. It's Christmas Eve. The judge, this is the judge who granted him remand. He's with his grandkids and he's like, this is not my problem. And it's like, ugh, come on, like help out. And he's been on four episodes, this guy. This is his most recent episode that he was on. I think his last one. He's like, let my guy out for the holidays. Like we have so much evidence that he's innocent. Like just like, this is bureaucracy. This is paperwork. Just like, let it happen. And he's like, all right, but he's your responsibility. And Finn's like, yeah, 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 I got him. <laughs> so then Sam is free. It's a Christmas miracle. But Liv is about to shit can her Bahamian vacation to go after Menendez. And Amaro's like, no, 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 just go. I've got this. And Liv's like, no, 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 I handle these things. And Amaro's like, girl, get on that plane and get a Mai Tai. I'll handle this. And he's like, this is my Christmas gift to you. And she goes, I want jewelry next year. Cute. They hug. And then we see Finn bringing home Sam for little Dante. And it's so sweet. I actually teared up at this. Like, I just thought it was so cute. He was like, dad. And like, 
Then they all are, and then Rollins is like, I'm going to get going. And they're like, I don't think so. You're family. And you kind of see where, you know, Finn and Rollins' relationship comes into play here because, like, they're really sweet. And, um... Well, it's also, Chris, you're going to let this woman eat alone in her house? Of course. Like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, all, like, Christmas music starts to swell and this is, like, there is this, like, a show called The Killing that Jared and I used to watch. At the end of The Killing, they would always do like a little thing where music would play and they would show you what every character was doing. And Jared would always sing, it's the part of The Killing where they check in on everybody. And so I thought this was like the part of SVU where they check in on everybody. So we're seeing everybody. The Christmas music is swelling. We're like getting everybody's little end of the episode uh, status update. Angelica's on the street kind of like staring at a manger. And then we see she sort of watches Menendez, the Monsignor who molested her, go with the choir into the church. And we see him put his arm around a very young teenage girl. And then we see Father Shea walking with Margarita and Sophia. Very cute. Then we see Finn's family sitting down to eat like a pineapple ham or something. I don't really know Christmas foods, but Amaro shows up at the same judge's house and that judge is like, okay, enough is enough. Don't you guys, <laughs> like, you guys need to fucking leave me alone. And the judge is like, he's basically like, you got to sign this warrant. We got to pick up this molester tonight. And he's like, okay, but let him finish mass. And it's like, I mean, okay, these religious fucking judges. Cut to, we see, we cut to Liv on the plane. She's talking to Nick on the phone and she's like, okay, great, great. You got him? Okay, awesome. Hangs up. And then we see her hold a man's hand, but we do not see his body. Some sneaky dick wolf shit, but it's definitely Cassidy. And then the next scene, Amaro is at the church and he's heading up the stairs to arrest this guy when we hear bang, 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 gunshots. This is like a very twisty ending to me. I thought that the music meant, okay, everything's gonna like just end. And we hear gunshots. He runs in. Menendez is lying there in the arms of like, I don't know, a junior priest. And he's bloody and dead. Angelica is sobbing off to the side. The gun is nearby. And he says, I was here to arrest him. Like, I was just about to do it. And she's like, it's too late. And then off of the dead priest. Happy holidays from Dick Wolf, baby. And that's it. Yeah, it's just sad. It's very White Lotus where it's like, great, so the victims of everything just end up going to jail forever. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to go to jail for a bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the jury will consider that this is a priest who molested her and forced her to have an abortion. Are we? Will... we? I mean, how many cases have we covered yeah. of women being executed yeah, for yeah, crimes yeah. No, even about right. their past? Like, you're right. You're right. And people fucking love priests, no matter what. Well, I can't wait for you to tell us more about that when we get back from our break. I'll let you know. This was the easiest, most succinct, simple crime to research. JK. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. 
this is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right, welcome back. Um, We're going to talk about Catholic sex crimes. (laughs) Is that a new Dick Wolf show? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like, what's really hard about this is it's global. You know, it's like Australia, Ireland, South America, anywhere where there's a church, there's abuse happening. Mm. So it was kind of daunting in a way. Um, And it's just, it's really unfathomable. And it's probably like the biggest metaphor to our lives as humans is just this institution doesn't have to pay taxes, openly molests children, and no one cares. No one fucking cares. It is so weird. Generations, and it's ongoing. It has not really, like, stopped in any way. So, and from, like, when we record this to when you guys listen, there's probably going to be a new article that comes out with, like, new abuse. It's really, like... There's never really a break. So, well, we're going to start with, like, um, just some recent Catholic sex crimes. And then we'll go down to the overall history of when um, there's moments of prominence and people pretend to care. And then we'll go into more specific things that have, like, cases that are very similar to the episode, but not exactly, because there's not, like, a specific crime. But it's fucking Christmas. This is the Christmas episode. And we're winging it. Um, and <laughs> so that's what's happening. So that's how I'm going to order everything. That's like, that's how my brain figured it out. So Jean-Marc Suave, the president <laughs> of the... <laughs> Shut up. How do you say it? Suave? I think it's Sove because it's S-A-U. Sove. Yeah. <laughs> but Sove. I love... Jean-Marc Suave is like a great <laughs> fucking name. <laughs> Uh, So this guy, he's the president of the Independent Commission of Sexual Abuse in the Church, C-I-A-S-E. And he authored this French report, uh, and that's he said that the abuse is systemic and not limited to a few black sheep that strayed at all. So in France, between 1950 and 2020, around 3,000 out of 115,000 priests were found to be abusers. And that's in one country. Yeah. That's not a massive country either. And this um, this guy, Francois Devois, <laughs> who is that? <laughs> I should go to France. I think they'd get a kick out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's the head of the abuse victims group, La Parole Libre. I mean, stop it. I can't. Libre. No, I he think you're to- good. Libre is probably right. He told the clergymen to their face in this, like, giant hearing really slowly. Um, they made a point to write that he was, like, very deliberate in his um, 
the way he said it, there was a betrayal, a betrayal of trust, betrayal of morality, betrayal of children, betrayal of innocence of your own people, betrayal of the gossip, betrayal of the original message. It's a betrayal of everything. Will you I just do no a lies. pickup? Will you just do a pickup of a betrayal of the gospel, not the gossip? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> You do not want to betray gossip. Gossip is your friend. It is the gospel, guys. <laughs> but gossip is my gospel. <laughs> so that was like really cool. So this recent report says that the Catholic Church is the place where the prevalence of sexual violence is at its highest outside of family and friend circles. So of all the places anyone can commit sexual violence, the Catholic Church is number one. That is... Wild. Um, and one of the archbishops was like, oh my God, it's more than we ever could have imagined. And it's like, really? More we've been saying it's yeah. like so shocking that people ever act surprised. It's like very strange. Another case this past year from November 8th, 2021, um, from the New York Times is the Vatican issued acquittals in all these sexual abuse cases involving former altar boys and a priest for covering up the crimes. So they're still acquitting crimes as it happens as well. June 2021, I know we're like bouncing around. Um, Cardinal Reinhard Marx, who was a leader in Germany's Roman Catholic Church and a member of Pope Francis's advisory council, resigned in a personal gesture to take responsibility of sexual abuses by priests, but he didn't commit any crimes, but he wanted to share the responsibility and make a statement. And the Pope was like, you can't do that. And didn't wow. let him do it. But I also don't know. It's like, why are you making this about you? <laughs> you didn't commit these crimes. Why don't you just work instead of these symbolic actions of like resigning? Time, why don't you do time, something? He's an innocent person that probably can't affect huge change, and so he's like, "I'll give up my whole fucking life to the church that I've I've given my life to the church, and I'll give up my name just to call some attention to this shit." And the Catholic Church is like, "No, <laughs> yeah." So June 2021, I mean, these are just recent cases. Like, that's what I was trying to do. I was just, like, going to talk about, like, what's happened in the past year. And it's everywhere. It's really kind of wild. So June 2021, yeah. the Catholic Church in Poland discloses hundreds of sexual abuse accusations, according to the New York Times. You can tell I have a subscription. <laughs> um Church authorities said they received 368 reports of sexual abuse from July 2018 through the end of 2020. That is a year and a half, 368 reports. And like half of that last year, we're in a fucking pandemic where you're probably not even like, there's not even masks. There's not, you know what I mean? Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. And since Poland is 90% Catholic, it never received public attention until there was a release of two documentaries with former victims in 2019 and 2020. And then the church started to scramble to show that they're taking this serious. But when you have such a devout country, it is hard for anyone to do anything about it because right. no one cares and everyone's like delusional about God. But um, right now in Poland, a lot of young people are leaving the church, especially with like the anti-abortion stuff that's happening and they are just seeing the hypocrisy of everything. So young people are leaving the church, but Poland is very conservative, devout 
Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some resignations in Poland, some forced early retirements. Archbishop, and his name is Polak. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I this uh, it's it's Archbishop Pol. It's P O L A K. It's I'm not saying a slur. It is what it's it's <laughs> that's his name. I don't. There's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> so Archbishop Polak said that the church deserved the public's trust and that its system for responding to harm against minors is working. So they're they're deranged. They're deranged. (laughs) Like, it's... Yeah. So, yeah. So other recent scoop from the New York Times is like fall of 2021 is about a Brooklyn bishop and who the Vatican cleared of charges from the 1970s when he was a young priest in Jersey City. Truly cleared it. I I, I don't understand what's happening. Um, There are two civil live lawsuits left from that, but the church will not discipline them at all. Uh, The bishop denies any and all wrongdoing and said in his 50-year ministry, he has never abused anybody. I don't know. The Bishop DiMarzio allegations started to pop up just one month after Pope Francis chose him to investigate the handling of sex abuse claims by the Buffalo Diocese. So my point here is like the people that the church is choosing to do the internal investigations also are abusing people and do not see any crimes happening and are clearing the priests. Like, they're acting like they're more serious with their investigations, but their standards of investigations are letting people just kind of be dismissed. Yeah, I mean, if you really cared about actually, like, ridding your institution of these people, you would hire a third party to come do the investigation. Like, if you don't want it to be the government or whatever because of biases or whatever you think, like, you could hire, like, third party, you know. Oh, we'll get there. You don't okay. think that you don't think the cops and judicial system have covered up and helped the church get away with crimes? Uh, yeah, yeah. Girl, yeah. what podcast <laughs> are we doing? Um, yeah. So, and then with these civil lawsuits that I just mentioned, and like what's happening, especially in New York and on the East Coast, um, there's been like a wave of people coming forward, and that stemmed from a 2018 giant report from the Pennsylvania grand jury that documented a decades-long history of clergy sex abuse there. Oh that grand God. jury report in Pennsylvania is out of control. They found out that the diocese of Altoona, Johnstown, police officers, district attorneys, and judges colluded with two two former bishops to cover up allegations against priests. Um, And basically, bishops and other leaders in the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania covered up sexual abuse by more than 300 priests over a period of 70 years while persuading victims not to report the abuse and for law enforcement not to investigate it. They legit found a 1,000 identifiable victims. So not counting those who have been too scared to come forward or records that were lost of older victims or people that have died, like truly a 1,000 identifiable victims. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reports are, beyond sick. It's a priest who raped a young girl in the hospital after she had her tonsils out. We're talking a victim who was tied up and whipped with leather straps by a priest. We're talking a priest who was allowed to stay in the ministry after impregnating a young girl and arranging for her abortion. One priest abused five sisters in the same family and one girl whose abuse started at 18 months old. No. These are predators and they know where to hunt. These are not accidental devil actions. This is not, these are, you know, Benson talks about this all the time. These are predators who know where to hunt. They know where to go. I'm, I'm curious to find out how many people become priests just to molest. 
Yeah. And get away with it. You know, like how I feel like how many cops might join to just like kill black people. It's like, we don't really know the motives of these people, but these, it's like so fucking twisted. Jesus. Um, and some of the bishops there are still denying the idea that the church concealed abuse and they deny any cover up at all. But that report that I'm talking about in Pennsylvania helped propel the passage of long stalled laws in New York and New Jersey and other states that allowed victims of childhood sex abuse to file civil suits long after the statute of limitations has passed. So there's been an uptick of cases during my research. I actually found a lot of like, not ambulance chasing, but a lot of priest ambulance chasing vibes where it's like, um, like there are just now lawyers that are like, Hey, we're here to help. So, yeah, yeah. um, are they slimy? I don't, I, ambulance chasing seems slimy, but in this case, I don't care. I don't Take think all the slimy. fucking Catholic Church's money. They yeah. don't fucking pay taxes. Yeah. Um, so, and the New York Diocese then released a list of all clergymen that had credible accusations of abuse. So they released this list and then different organizations and like legal firms created interactive databases of all those names. So if you're someone that was abused, you can go into this database, find your priest, and then go to your lawyer. The fact that there's a whole database is like, it's so telling. I mean, I don't think I'm like reveal like maybe these cases are new to people, but I don't think I'm revealing anything new. Can I ask a question? It might be stupid, but... I hope I know the answer. Like... Why are you moving priests? Like, if you find out that a priest's been, like, molesting people, why not just, like, fire the priest and be like, hey, the priest decided to move to fucking Guatemala and just fire them. And, like, nobody, you know, you don't report it, whatever. Are you in such a shortage for priests that you're just going to allow them to go to a different parish and keep molesting? Well, I think that's, like, what the French guy was saying, where it's, like, it's deliberate cover-ups and they have a disdain for victims. Like, they don't care. It's callous and mean. I think these, like, I think your question is like, why don't they act in faith since they're people of God and they're not? They're flawed individuals. They are not the body of Christ. They are people. We know tons of people. People are bad, you know? And so I think it's bad people protecting their friends and the institution and they don't want things to get out so they can continue to grift. These are grifters. These are criminal grifters. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't just fire someone because then it's attention and then that person gets charged and then they go to jail and the people don't trust the church and their whole thing is secrecy. They're trying to keep it as secret as possible. But you're right. They're endangering more people. Yeah, like, because to me, it's like, it's a secret. And so if you fire them and then just tell them to fucking take off in the middle of the night, that can be, that's more secretive to me than keeping them in your community, but in another country where they're going to do it again. And then it's going to be like, now there's a fucking trail. Now you've shown that this person commits this crime over and over again. So it seems stupid but I don't yeah whatever. maybe they're stupid but you're right I didn't understand the concept of that they blame victims and that they think victims are full of shit or whatever well yeah it's just like intimidating and making people shut up yeah Ugh. and they can so for basically like August 14th, 20, I, this is actually very confusing and I tried really hard to understand it. So like this New York Child Victims Act started. So from August 14th, 2019, and then the cutoff is August 13th, 2021. You can bring lawsuits from all past crimes no matter what the statute of limitations is. So maybe that cutoff ended, but but you had to bring a case by that time. I In have no idea. In that time period, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the New York Child Victims Act also now, you may file a civil case up until the age of 55. It used to be only 23 years old. 
household um, because they've done like studies where people sometimes don't even come forward that they were even raped or assaulted until their 50s, until they're way older. And then they're reflecting back. So I think that's good. And then criminal charges have moved up from the age up to age 28. And the cutoff used to be 23 as well. I still think that's, well, whatever. But um, so yeah, if you are a victim of childhood abuse, you could bring that up to criminal court up until age 28. If the abuse suffered was under the age of 11, though, there is no deadline now. Um, So the government can criminally charge a sexual abuser at any time. But also so weird how you're like, 11 is the cutoff. Like, if it's over 11, maybe they were asking for it. But if it's under 11, no, no, no. You know, we got to prosecute. Like, it's just, or you know what I mean? Like, just to choose I thought about that for sure. And then I was like, what age would I pick? Would it be 15? But that's weird. And that's inviting something different. And it, But I do think that, like, we react different when it's someone that's eight versus someone that's 14. And should we or should we not? Or is that natural? Like, it is really wild. Sure. I mean, I, I think it should just be the age of consent, though. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's even a way to consent with a clergyman who kind of has, like, a certain power over you. But, like, if you're 18 and I guess you want to have sex with a priest, I guess well, you can. it's kind of like, you know, the guilty people are making the rules. I don't know if you saw, like, last month there was a video of, like, Italian parliament and all these guys in Italian government, like, clapping and cheering because they weren't able to pass protections um, against harassment in the workplace for, like, gender disabilities and, like, all this stuff. Like, men were, like, celebrating that you can continue abusing people. I think the people that are in charge in our country are abuser. I think what we're learning is everyone's an abuser. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, when that legal window opened, it floods of lawsuits happen and it bankrupted some organizations, which is great. Um, so four out of eight dioceses in New York State became bankrupt and the Boy Scouts of America also bankrupt from uh, lawsuits because of abuse. Mm. So... Uh, the Brooklyn and New York diocese in just one month alone had 1,500 claims and just as many civil suits, but they're not bankrupt yet. So I don't know. But so now, so that's like what's just been happening in 2021. And now I'll just give you like the history of like the panic or when things have come out and we'll see the cyclical nature of how nothing ever actually changes. So the first time, like 1980s, is when molestation by priests was first given significant media attention in the U.S. and Canada. In 1985, investigative reporter Jason Barry uh, blew the whistle on the Catholic Church and the systemic cover-up of sexual abuse, but nobody cared, obviously. So that came out. Because we thought, you know, you mentioned earlier about like the Boston Globe article that like uh, inspired the movie Spotlight. And it's like, everyone's like, that was a revelation. And it's like, nope, there was a revelation yeah. in 1985 too. Mm-hmm. Um, big article. I didn't read it. Okay. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, I couldn't. Um, in the 1990s, the issue began to grow with stories popping up in Argentina, Australia. And then in 1995, the Archbishop of Vienna in Austria stepped down amid some allegations and that like really rocked the church. And then in Ireland, there were revelations of historical abuse. And then by the early 2000s, sexual abuse in the Catholic church was a major global story. And I'm sure we, I remember it. I mean, like I said, like it's always been in the background of stuff. Yeah. And then in 2002, the Boston Globe put out this huge investigation and they exposed how pedophile priests were moved around by church leaders instead of being held accountable. 
And there was a church-commissioned report in 2004 that said more than 4,000 Roman Catholic priests had faced sexual abuse allegations over the last 50 years involving more than 10,000 children. In 2009, a report came out that found sexual and psychological abuse was endemic in Catholic-run schools and orphanages in Ireland for most of the 20th century. So yeah, these reports keep coming out and then it's like, and then what? People still go to church. I don't get it. Because that's like kind of the vibe that I was seeing where it's like church people are always like, ah, the liberals are like corrupting the youth and like they're all leaving the church. And it's like, no, they're leaving the church because you're all hypocrites and they see the hypocrisy and that's why people are leaving. No one like... And I have friends who are sending their kids to Catholic school and I'm always kind of like, why? And it's like... It's usually because in whatever neighborhood they're in, it's a better school, but it's not as expensive as a private school. You know, it's like that's, and you know, what does better school mean? Uh, Yeah, I mean, teach science. What are they reading? You know, like what is better school? Yeah, I don't know. In 2011, uh, Pope Benedict told bishops that they had to report any suspected cases to local police because previously, all cases were supposed to be referred to Rome. So that, that in 2011, they were like, you know what? Maybe we should report to authorities. Yeah. 2011. Yeah. In August 2018, Pope Francis wrote to all Roman Catholics condemning clerical sex abuse bold (laughs) and demanded to end um, cover-ups. Hey guys, can you stop doing what you're doing? Please. Please. (laughs) February 2019, Francis also announced that sexual abuse, grooming minors for sex, possessing child pornography, and covering up abuse is a criminal offense under Vatican law. So that was 2019. That was an announcement. It's just like, what? I, I just don't get it. I don't get support. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I, like, I never trying. will. <laughs> but like, why was grooming minors for sex chill before 2019? Like, how is this such a big announcement he had to make? It's like the announcements seem like PR stunts, not yeah. actual like wants to it's change. It's like, look, we made it a crime. And it's like, okay, that's, yeah, it's semantics. It's like not, you know. Yeah, because it is considered the biggest overhaul of the Roman Catholic Church's criminal code in decades. Uh, Pope Francis also broadened the definition of sexual abuse to include adults. Not only children can be victimized. So that's good. I don't know. I'm glad the church realized you can rape an adult. (laughs) So it's like they're telling on themselves. It is the weirdest thing. I don't care if I'm offending you. I doubt too many devout Catholics listen, but it truly is something I will never understand. Never, ever, ever. And, and you know, I keep being like, what the fuck, what the fuck? But what is does make it so difficult to make these changes, specifically speaking like about German attempts to reform the church, has been a ton of resistance from conservative bishops and priests who are opposed to altered church doctrines. So, like, that's the thing. The people within the organizations are old school and they keep fighting for old school shit. And, yeah. like, they don't want to change church doctrines. Um, Reverend Hans Zollner, one of the leading church authorities 
authorities on sexual abuse said that including adults is too broad. And the problem is if everyone, in quotes, if everyone can claim to be abused in any situation, how do you prove that? It's very foggy. Some things that aren't as clear as you think or may wish for them to be, end quote. And that's one of the leading church authorities on sexual abuse. So this guy is the leader of sexual abuse in the church and is like, listen, you're, he's acting like <laughs> a fucking, he's acting like a comic. He's acting like a, like, come on, guys. Like, are we going too far? Like, if we include adults, how do we trust anybody? And that whole thing is weird to me. Like, why not go too much the other way to ensure people's safety? Like, why are we so, like, first of all, these numbers aren't equal to abuse versus, like, fake things. But, like, I'm willing to risk a few priests being excommunicated to thousands of children being abused. Like, I don't get why not going the other way. I mean, obviously, I think everyone that's listening is. It's also like what, it's also just like the statistics of of, of women filing false rape accusations are minuscule. They're small. Like, it's just, yes, it happens. It does not happen a lot. I don't think there are many people going around going, my priest raped me when it didn't happen. Like, maybe it happens, but it does not happen a lot. That is not a statistic you need to plan for. No. No, and this whole thing, it's like, it's too broad. What about crimes? You could just claim abuse. And it's like, well, maybe abuse is just happening all the time and you need to broaden your definition of it too. Mm. So anyways, why is sex abuse and the Catholic Church still a story again and again and again, never ending? So there's like a few reasons why the Catholic Church is more difficult than all other organizations, but it does happen in all churches and organizations and religions and cults and anywhere where there's authority. But like, these are the reasons why the Catholic story never ends. One, Catholics make up like a quarter of the American population. I didn't know that. So they're just like a large group. But to me, I'm confused because the whole thing, like John F. Kennedy was like the first Catholic president and everyone was like, oh, he's... So why aren't there more Catholic leaders and why is it such a big deal when Catholics run if such a giant population of the country is Catholic? Yeah, I don't know. Biden's Catholic. Yeah, So, yeah, it's a hierarchical organization that keeps extensive records. So abuse leaves a paper trail. So that's always why stories are leaking as well. And back to your question up top, I think they're fucking idiots. Yeah. Um, Or not, or diabolical. I don't know. And uh, many people also believe that priests are an exalted position and that they are the representative for Jesus himself. So, like, they just can't wrap their minds around that, like, this clear connection to God, God's representative is a criminal. Mm -hmm. So it's faith. At the end of the day, it's faith. Like one woman abused by a priest said she believed priests were, in quote, about as close to heaven as you're going to get. Yeah, because they're human beings. And, but it's also like, you can, if you're that, uh, if you're that like into the cult, then it's like, you could literally say that six-year-old was, had the devil in them and they were tempting that priest. You know what I mean? Like if you're that devout, Who knows who you're blaming? And of course, forced celibacy added to the mix of all of these things is not great because it leads to covert sexual relationships and double lives and just like lots of secrets. They also have institutional tolerance for sexual misconduct and the perp- and the protection of perpetrators. And they're straight up, uh, yeah, this is my own words. <laughs> they're committed to protecting the grift. Yeah. Yeah, they're in too deep. They don't pay taxes. They've convinced their flock that they have to give 10% of their like um, salary to the church. They're making a killing, okay? This is an MLM. This is no different than Lulu Row, okay? Yeah. This is the same thing. They're gonna hide each other. 
And they know what's going on. That's the thing. It's like they fucking know it. They are committed to a cover-up. They use they use words, um, like they use inappropriate contact instead of rape. Or, um, you know, they, they do weird things. Right. <laughs> and then they like hire people that don't know anything about sexual abuse to be the ones that investigate their colleagues. And then like also not informing communities why priests leave or are moved. It is on purpose. Um, and a lot of these cover-ups go all the way up to the Vatican. Yeah. An ode to the episode. So I found a couple cases of revenge and a couple affairs. So we'll talk about um, that really quickly. So December 2019, a teenager, Alexandre, but is it Alexander, even though if it's spelled like that? If this is in France, I think it would be pronounced Alexandre. Alexander. So a teenager, (laughs) Alexander V, in northern France, he killed a priest who abused him by ramming a crucifix down the cleric's throat. Holy shit. They found this guy dead with a fucking crucifix. That's some fucking SVU shit right there. Yeah. Oh my Uh, God. So it gets twisted though. Not that that's not twisted, but Roger Mattisoli was 91 at the time and he had been accused of molesting at least four people during his decade kid's long career. Alexandre worked as a housekeeper at the priest's home and he was around. And the priest was accused of molesting not only Alexandre, but Alexandre's father. (gasps) So this guy molested, it's all accused allegations, like all of the paperwork, all the articles are always like alleged, alleged, accused. But basically this motherfucker could have been molesting the dad and the son. Jesus. But despite tons of these allegations, Matasoli was shuffled around to different locations and remained on the payroll, uh, with the, which the church said it was just an error. He shouldn't have been getting paid. Um, and Alexandre was declared criminally irresponsible for his actions by the investigative chamber of the Amiens Court of Appeal in 2021. And he's been sent to a medical specialized establishment. Um, which is probably just like a psychiatric hospital, but it was a French article translated and maybe they call it medical specialized establishments. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know. I like the SVU vibe of it all. Okay, so then this next one, there's affair and murder. Um, No molestation. But in November 2020, a man was charged, why France? In Lyon, France, for attempted murder after admitting he shot a Greek Orthodox priest because of jealousy because his wife was having an affair with the priest. So this is Lyon. This is a city in France where my brother used to live, actually. I've been there. No way. Um, Yeah. And... uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. I've been to Lyon, but my brother lived in Dijon. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Lyon, yeah, I've been there also. And um, Wait, Dijon were the mustards? Yes. Oh, my God. I had so much good mustard when I was there. It was amazing. Um, but what I was going to say is, is this not the plot of, like, a lot of, like, soaps in the 70s and shit? Like, wasn't there something called, like— I don't know. <laughs> the Thornbirds or something? Like, people were wanting to fuck priests a lot in, like, the 70s and 80s. Well, like, not even— shit. Fleabag. I mean, Fleabag was yeah. all about she season two. She brought that back. Yeah. She brought it back. <laughs> when, when's her next project? Can you please release something? I know. You've had all of Pandemic. Let's go, Phoebe. Waller Bridge. Get to work. Um, so yeah, the priest Nicholas Kakavelikovis. Um, 
<laughs> is a married Greek national and has been holding services at the Lyon Orthodox Church for a decade. October 31st, he was locking the doors of the church when two blasts from a sawn-off shotgun in the abdomen. Um, and the victim led police to the motive and attacker when he was identified. You know, they, oh, so he, he woke survived. Up, he survived. He woke up from a coma and identified the attacker because there were like some... There were some like terror attacks, anti-religion attacks. So they were scared that this was like part wow. of these bigger attacks, but it was just like jealousy. All right. We're going to talk about some uh, babies fathered by priests. Um, some are consensual and then some are, of course, rape. And so, and I, you know, that is, that is the truth. This is Australia. There was an Australian study done that found that four times as many women and two times as many adult men are sexually abused by clergy than children. And that was in February 2017. Um, I think it's just like more horrific. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we we talk about child abuse all the time in terms of the Catholic Church, but people that are in seminary and nuns, like people are, and people that just go to confession are getting assaulted as well. Yeah. So. Something to think about. Lots of chances for pregnancy. Um, so there's this one guy, Vincent, and he's the central figure of this New York Times article. Um, so this guy, Vincent Doyle, in Ireland, was 28 when he learned that his Roman Catholic priest that he'd known as his godfather was actually his father. And that led him to create a global support group to help other children like him who have been, had internalized shame from being born from a church scandal. Wow. And through that, he was finally able to, like, because he got up the ranks of like help. I don't know. Basically, he was able to go to the Vatican and the Vatican showed him an art, um, a document and it's a secret document. He wasn't able to take a photo or write anything. That, like he was only able to look at it. It's the secret document the Vatican showed him. This doesn't even seem real. Um, but it was an internal document about how to deal with priests who father children. So proof that there's lots of kids out there. If they a have- lot of little Sophia's running around out there. Yeah. Um, so he was shown these guidelines in 2017 by Archbishop Ivan Yorkovic. The Vatican's, uh, this guy is the Vatican's envoy to the United Nations in Geneva. So that's when that happened. And the Vatican has confirmed this document and that the Archbishop did show him. And the document states that these kids are called children, children of the ordained. Wild. It says that the protection of the child is the fundamental principle and that it requests the priest to leave and assume responsibility as a parent. But why would you do that when you can continue being treated like a god and ignoring your child, you know? Yeah. These people, that's why with like in the SVU episode of like, um, oh, he's this good guy. It's like, no, he wanted the power of being a priest. Like, I don't believe, you know what I mean? Right. Like if he actually wanted to live by the word, he would go raise his fucking child. Right. You can only ask for a priest to leave. You can't impose a dismissal. So even if a priest is like fathering people, you can't um, force him to leave. But they do say that natural law comes before, like, your right to be a priest. But there's zero written into the law about that. But they do say that you should go take care of your child. Um, but it, like I said, I've been saying it's a culture of secrecy, aversion to scandal, and it keeps, uh, you know, that's why it keeps this fucking shit going on. Yeah. Um, so this guy, Mr. Doyle, he says that his support group has 50,000 users in 175 countries. So there's a lot of people out there. And one man, Eric Zetoni, his mother was raped by a priest when she was 14 and the priest was 54 years old. 
Um, the family tried to make the man recognize the child and he wouldn't. And so they were evicted from their parish owned home. And in 2010, she sued the priest and a DNA test proved that he was the father but was not forced to leave the priesthood. And this father, Tosi, died in 2014, still a priest. Jesus. And some of these women, like what happens to them is that they're now reflecting back and questioning whether their relationship with the priest was abuse or consensual with like the power dynamics and the grooming and yeah. all of that. So that is something that's coming up um, with a lot of victims later in life. Um, and it's also a lot of emotional abuse, pressuring people to stay silent and protect the priest's career. Like that's going to fuck with you. Um, I never really thought about that um, because I have no respect for the church, but <laughs> I understand um, if you do, sure. th that might be hard for you. Um, also, it's, like, tough dealing with the church going against you and treating you like shit the moment you get pregnant is, like, what this woman was talking about. Um, this other woman, Teresa Engelhart, she became pregnant after a 15-year-long affair with a reverend, Robert... Dreisbach. Um, and the years that followed, uh, the Diocese of Allentown in Pennsylvania did offer her regular child support payments for her silence and that her and her son would not contact the reverend. Jeez. So just full hush money, just full hush money payments. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what's fucked. It's like, not only are they having to constantly pay out like all these lawsuits from all these molesting, I they are also paying out all this child support and hush money for all just like the quote, like legal fucking that's even happening or right. But so it's basically an institution that doesn't pay taxes that makes its followers give them money and then they spend their money, it seems billions and billions of dollars just hiding their crimes. Yeah. It's fucking weird, dude. Um, Englehart says the priest can keep uh, keep going and the women has some explaining to do, but that's his tale as sold this time. The priest told her to get an abortion or give the child up uh, for adoption uh, and he would send money and stuff because he didn't want to leave the priesthood. So he's like, those are your options. But uh, when she finally came forward, the bishop told her that she was a sinner that was bringing shame to her family. Um, and it was a lot of psychological trauma for this woman. Her son, who's now grown with his own kids, says he carries around a lot of guilt with him because if he hadn't been born, his mom wouldn't have been involved in like this church mess and the dad could have stayed a priest. And so like he has a lot of his own guilt and trauma with that. Did the dad get, lose his priesthood? I think he left, yeah. Oh, okay. I think this one did. Some leave. Some. I mean, I read some where, like, a guy was, like, happy to leave and raise his child. And he's like, oh, yeah, I love being a biological father way more than I was, like, a father at the church. And he was, like, pretty jazzed yeah, to leave his life and, like, marry yeah. this person. So, I don't know. Um, so this other guy, Richard Sipe, who I don't know who he is, but <laughs> this is from the Washington Post. So we have to assume it's a respected researcher. But he found out that in 1990, 40% of priests were practicing celibacy. So that's not high numbers. And but how are you researching that? How are they all confessing to you in the sur in the survey that they're fucking? It's a it's a confusing. It is. It I is. mean, I hope I hope he got good numbers, but. I don't think that many priests are like, I'm getting my dick wet all the time. Don't tell anyone, you know? <laughs> but it's the opposite. They said only 40% were said they were celibate. Right, that's what I'm saying. So 60% wrote down, I'm not celibate. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I don't know. I was just like, you know what? I have to find as many good things that like tie with this Christmas episode. I yeah. mean, because, but then I was like researching for a true crime of it, but it's like, if there was, I 
we it would have been based on it. Like we would have known. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so after hours of figuring it out, I go, if there was an exact case, we would be studying it. What am I doing? <laughs> so that was like um hard. But priests nowadays do appear slightly more likely to come forward than in the past because they're more aware of like the risks of social media exposure and lawsuits and stuff like that. So not because the Lord is watching in morality, but they understand that they are it's easier to get caught and talk and like a firestorm start out. Um, Flavia Alaya is a woman who had a 23-year relationship with a Roman Catholic priest, and she wrote a memoir about it that detailed this whole relationship. Yeah. Um, but she wrote this, and this will be, I don't know, a poetic or um, ending or a cheap cop-out. I don't know, but I'm ending this in... <laughs> I'm ending this in quotes. Um, so this uh, woman, uh, she wrote, I am a Catholic in the same way that I am American. I don't believe in the way the state behaves, yet I am a citizen here. My Catholicism is an accident of history, not an act of faith. I can't shed it like a dress. Still, I have always said that love is never a scandal. If there is something that makes love impossible, then it must be re-examined. Huh, Interesting. And that's only in terms of obviously consensual adult love affairs, not Nambla style. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That I mean, that was some stuff I didn't know. So that thank you for doing all that research. I know this was more of a concept crime, but you found the <laughs> worth it for the story about the crucifix down the throat. My God. I know. I wish there was more info about him, but I was like, it was really hard because I could have done all of it. I just, that's so metal. Maybe we just write a short film. I just really want a crucifix in the throat. <gasps> so and, wild. And that's the thing with these people in Angelica in the episode and, you know, like when you're let down by everyone and you're out of yeah. options, what the fuck do you do with all this trauma? Yeah. Okay. Well, we do have <laughs> a great guest, like always. Yes, we have an amazing guest. Merry Christmas <laughs> and happy Hanukkah. Guys, I am so excited about today's guest. He is a prolific, legendary character actor whose work spans many genres. You've seen him in everything from American Horror Story to The Good Wife, True Blood, The Proposal. But of course, today you know him as Father Chris Shea. Guys, we are so excited to talk to Dennis O'Hare. So you guys can't see this, but he is showing us a picture of himself covered in blood. He started off on the Zoom telling us, I have blood on my hands. So we were like, wow, you're really bringing it. Whoa, what is this for? Yeah, what are you shooting in London? Uh, the, the Nevers for HBO. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. We, we did, um, we, we shot and we already showed uh, six episodes. Now this is the back six. It's only taking us two years because of COVID to like put this puppy to like, you know, season one. It's crazy, crazy. And Law and Order is on like season... 94. <laughs> yeah. so, yes, exactly. That's how you do it. <laughs> Wait, so we were obviously um, doing some gentle stalking of your Instagram, and I was like, this man lives in Europe, or are you just based there for this project, or do you always live in Europe? <laughs> no, I live in Europe. We, we moved in 2018 to, to Paris. My husband and my oh, son and I moved to Paris, yes. What yes. a shame. I know, I know. Well, we'll obviously get into SVU, murder your career, everything. <laughs> but since this is 
Christmas, our Christmas episode, um, I was wondering what you would like for Christmas this year and what your cutie son wants, what are his big asks and any <laughs> traditions, cute things about Christmas. You know, my son, he's 10 years old. So, you know, what he would like is Grand Theft Auto. He's yeah. not getting that. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. The fact that he plays Fortnite is a huge failure already. <laughs> but what he'll, what, what he'll get from me is he'll get um, he'll get things he really wants, like books. <laughs> he doesn't want. But that's what I buy him. I buy him yeah. books. I'm going to buy him books. Um, and as far as me, I'm a terrible um, I'm a terrible gift receiver because I don't actually want anything, and I just don't want anything. And what I do want, nobody can buy for me because I have incredibly niche taste when it comes to music. And so I'm a, I'm an opera freak and a classical musician. And so, you know, I want Schumann's Kinderszenen by Martha Agerich, the 65 album, not the 82 when she came out from retirement. <laughs> I want the Glenn Gould, you know, the Goldberg, the 82 and the 65, but not the other remix, you know? So it's, so you can't buy me things because oh I'll just go, oh, it's the Barber of Seville, greatest hits. Why did you buy me? So my husband <laughs> doesn't even bother. He doesn't bother. I was going to say, your poor husband. Well, that's a tough, that's a tough order. uh, Hats. You always buy me hats. I'll always take a hat. Yes. Are you guys going to be in Paris or London for Christmas? Because I'm sure both cities are quite magical for Christmas. New York. Oh, New York. Yay! Yay! Oh, that makes us happy. Um, well, that's exciting. We hope you have an amazing Christmas in New York. Let's, now that we're talking about New York, let's just talk about Law & Order. I mean, you are... You're a, you're a Law and Order legend because you are season one and oh. season sixteen. I didn't know I was in season one. I didn't know that with Michael Mori- Michael Moriarty. Oh, it actually wasn't Michael Moriarty. It was it was SVU. It was season one of SVU, and you played a guy named um, Jimmy Walp. Right. Sorry. Yeah. 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 The and end the of end that episode is, is really, really sad. Haunting. <laughs> I know. We're crazy. Um, that, I'll tell you honestly, so that that part, I remember auditioning for it, sitting in the little room, and, and there were like five of us, including a friend of mine named Tom Reese Farrell, and we were both like, dude, you're going to get this. Because none of us wanted it, because it, <laughs> it was creepy. Because... Come on, it was really he rapes an old lady. It was really hard. <laughs> yeah. And and I was like, I was like, I, I don't want this part. And so I said, Tom, this is right up your alley. You're gonna be, you're gonna get this. And then I got it. And I was like, no, I got it. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, I mean, I, I love me some law and order, some Dick Wolf. And so I was, I was actually thrilled to get it. And um, and you know, Tom McCarthy, the the director, um, had once played a part of a mentally challenged person and so i remember looking at what he did because i was like he was really good at it and i remember him talking about it about you don't play dumb you play someone who's who's actually acts smart but just isn't getting the answers right so they they sort of act like they know everything even though they don't know anything because you know and and he had a really good approach and so i totally just copied him I, i channeled tom mccarthy um, for that, this is before he became a massive, big, huge director, and you know, and won awards. But um, yeah, he was my inspiration for that. I mean, his 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 playing of it. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's a very subtle sort of like something's off with this guy yeah. kind of thing, yeah. and that's interesting. But that's what makes the ending so yeah. horrifying is that you probably that that character didn't belong in that place, no. but he did commit this crime. He didn't understand, and now, yeah. 
he's there and there's nothing else. And I, I guess justice has been served. You know, it's it was a rough one. Well, that's the great thing about, you know, all the all the Law and Order franchises is that I feel like, you know, um, sort of like The Good Wife, they're, they're never square. They don't hit dead on. You don't get satisfied. Yeah. yeah, the guy. Yeah, the guy got caught. But why don't we feel good about that? Why is this still doesn't feel like it's, you know, it's the happy ending There's so much ambiguity, which is why I think people watch it, because you're not just getting a, a square deal. You're getting something that's a little more difficult to, to comprehend. Well, especially with your season 16 one, because obviously everyone is assuming that you are a pedophile priest and so many twists and turns and the end and I, I of wore that a Santa one Claus. I wore a Santa Claus hat. Yes, at the beginning. It's actually it's actually season 14, this episode. Oh. So basically, if the math oh, is correct, right. you're due to be back on uh, SVU in like another few seasons. So I think season 28 is when we need you back on. I've played two priests. I could play a third priest. I've played one schizophrenic. I played a militia guy. I've played, let's see who I've played. I've played a schizophrenic. I'm not a schizophrenic. He's a lawyer, yeah. Um, I've played various lawyers, yeah. Yeah, so you're just like in the Law & Order universe, the Dick Wolf universe. And so they do they just bring you in for stuff. They're like, Dennis, get in here. We got, we got something for you. You know, the universes are a little separate. You know what I mean? Like SVU is a little separate from Mothership Law & Order. Um, you know, different team of people, you know, uh, Warren Light is SVU and he's, he's got a different thing going on. And no, but I do remember my very first Law and Order ever. It was with, um, I think it was Paul Servino and Michael Moriarty. Um, or And then I did one with Jerry Orbach and Ben Bratt. Right. Um, uh, I mean, I've been through all of the, all of the, the various uh, uh, characters over there. All over New York Pretty City amazing. playing different people. Yeah. So you've been a priest before on Law and Order. Do you love those robes or what? Is that a comfy day on set for you? You know, I was meant to be a priest, and so <laughs> you know, finally, I mean, till I was till I was seventeen, I was going to be a priest. Really? I was. Oh my! God, I was very very serious about it. Um, uh, I was the um, child who drove everyone else crazy in my family because I'm I'm the fourth of five kids, and I gave all my money to UNICEF. I gave all my allowance away to the church. I kneeled and prayed. I made May altars. I made everyone say the rosary. I had a real serious Advent wreath for Christmas. I didn't believe in gifts for Christmas. I believed in praying for Christmas. I was totally humorless. Um, pictures of saints on the walls, priests being ordained, bloody Christ, you know, bloody gory, you know, crucifix thorns in the head with blood coming down. They're gory pictures. So for a kid, you know, it was sort of like great because you got to indulge in in horror and you know no wonder i ended up doing horror yeah really well when did the switch yeah when did you when did you change tracks you know uh it was funny because i I was 17 i was going to brother rice high school in michigan which is christian brothers of ireland and at that point i was thinking i was already thinking maybe not a priest maybe a brother because priests you know have a heavier commitment and brothers had a shorter ordination uh track and um one of the brothers uh, came to me privately and said, I understand you want to be a brother. And I said, yes. And he goes, I will block you. And I was like, what? And he said, I will block your admission. And I said, why? And he said, because you don't have a vocation. And he was right. And he wasn't a friend of mine because I had brother Smith was a friend of mine and he was going to support me. And this guy, brother Haas was not a friend of mine, but he was correct. And he was able to see me objectively and see that that kid is not 
in it for the right reasons. Because what I wanted to do was to play the organ and sit in church alone and be quiet and contemplate, you know, big things. I didn't want to help people. I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to say mass, you know. And that's what you have to really want. And also, I'm not even sure I believed in God at that point. You know, I just was like way into the trappings of it, you know, the rituals of it. And yeah. um, there are a lot of ex-priests in the acting world, or a lot of almost ex-priests, a lot of ex-seminarians. I know lots yeah, of no, guys. My, an uncle of mine who just passed away, who was an actor and a comedian, almost became a priest. Yeah. He, he wrote a them. whole he wrote a New York Times bestseller about almost becoming a priest. What was it called? So crazy. It was called Father Joe. Nice. Wait, so what do you think? Do you have a like why do you think that is? All these almost ac- actor priests. You know, because the especially in in the Catholic Mass, it's a show. It's absolutely a show. Got it. You, you make an entrance, you got a dressing room, you get dressed in a dressing room, you kibitz beforehand, you have fun, you're like, <laughs> ah. Who's out there tonight? I don't know. It's a full house. You know, and I get Father Frank used to smoke a cigar back there. He's puffing away and then he would like put it out and you go to he'd whip us with his thing and to ring the bell and you ring the bell, ding, and you start down the procession. I mean, come on, it's curtains, ding. And then you walk up the aisle, everyone stands, they all watch you. You're in your costume. You get up there, you're on literally on stage, you jump up on stage. There's a script. You follow the script. Wow. There's a ritual. There's things you do. There's magic. There's a magic show in the middle of it. You turn <laughs> you turn the bread into the body of Christ and the wine into the blood of Christ. It's a magic show. This makes complete sense now that you're now that you're mapping it out for us. Wow. You know? And and then you get to like say a sermon. You get to improv. You get to do a stand-up routine in the middle of it. It's totally off the cuff. You know, <laughs> some priests go for laughs. Father John brought out props. He'd bring out, he'd reach in his robe, he'd bring out a bottle of Clorox. You go. Now, this is your soul. This is your soul on God. And you bring out a box of Clorox, <laughs> you know what I mean? And we'd all laugh, you know? So so it's everything. And then at the end, you know, you genuflect, you take your bow, and then you, you know, you leave, and then you go behind the scenes again. You close the door, and you take off the stuff, and you kind of go, that was nice. It was good. I love that. I love that thing. That was great. That You kneel really well right there. Yeah, but you see how I lifted the host like that? It was great. Yeah. <laughs> nice job on the bells. That was nice timing. Wow. The bells. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, we're both Jews. So this is like, <laughs> I didn't know about the pageantry of mass like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's but that's thing. interesting. Wow. And then this one guy said, this isn't for you. And you were like, yep. all right, that's cool. I'll go. I'll become a superstar. I... <laughs> You know what? A lot of things happen between 18 and 19. You know, I mean, <laughs> look at anybody's life. A lot, what a lot of people wanted to be is not what they ended up being. So at 18, I was accepted into the opera program at University of Michigan. And at the same time, accepted into Northwestern and acting. And it, it did not matter to me which way I went. And I ended up going to Northwestern. Um, and I did opera there for my first year and a lot of musicals. And then just kind of like fell into acting, you know. I mean, and that that became the thing. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and far as the, I don't, it was weird, you know. I mean, I also was going to be straight. I decided when I left the high school, I'm going to be straight. I'm going to be straight. And um, <laughs> I got to college, and like within two weeks, I was in bed with my director, this guy named Tom. <laughs> and I woke up, and I was like, "Fuck! I forgot to be straight." Oh, oh my plan! <laughs> forgot to be straight. You know? Oh my god! Um, just wanted to add that I'm from Skokie. 
So oh, I know um, Skokie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I always love Northwest. And then you did theater in Chicago, right? You did like the yeah, Steppenwolf and a bunch. Never did oh, Steppenwolf. Did everybody oh, but wow. Steppenwolf? I did Goodman, Remains, Body Politic, uh, Wisdom Bridge. Um, my God, the Goodman. Um, never Steppenwolf. They were sort of a closed shop. They were like. Did you drink uh, at Old Town Alehouse? Um, everywhere, but I didn't. I drink. I, I drank everywhere, up and down Lincoln Avenue, up and down. Yes. You know, I was a waiter. I mean, God, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Crazy, 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 crazy. I don't know if you remember specifically because you are so prolific and you've done so many things. But like, do you remember with SVU, like being on season one and then being on season fourteen, like flashing forward thirteen or fourteen years later? Like, was there like a different vibe on the set, both episodes that you did, or like had you seen how things had kind of fallen into a groove, or like what any any memories? And if the answer is I don't remember a damn thing, that's fine, and we can completely erase this question. I remember a lot of things from from all the different things. I mean. You know, um, I do get mixed up between what I did in Law and Order <laughs> and what I did in SVU. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, it, it I, I just had these, you know, these flashes and these images of where we were because, you know, you'd be, you'd be shooting in bizarre places in the Bronx. I don't know why we were always in the Bronx for some reason. I don't know why. Either that or at Chelsea Piers. And it's always four in the morning. Your call is always four in the morning. So super tired. I I, I think of that. My entire law and order experience was one on lack of sleep, always on three hours. You know, how I got my lines out, I don't know, because you were always super tired, super, super, super tired. Well, your character you does know? get like the crap beat out of him at the beginning. So maybe you being tired yes. sort of added to that whole vibe of like your face being kind of, yes. you know. Yeah, it didn't have out. to do, no no acting required. Just, <laughs> just kind of, yeah. And, and there were, I know that there was a makeup guy who was there for almost the entire tenure. Um, I kind of like me remember his name, but so you would see a lot of the old faces and, you know, they recycle a lot of cameramen would come through that you remembered and drivers that you remembered and people shuffle between the different franchises. And, you know, as an actor, your, your, your real life on the set is with the people you hang out with. And that is wardrobe, makeup, hair and makeup and camera guys, you know, um, because that's, that's who you're hanging out with and who, and who you get to know the best. Um, and, uh, and I remember very fondly having that sort of continuity of those, of those people. That's so good. And you got yeah. to work with resident hottie, Danny Pino, um, officer Amaro. Yes. And very sweet. Really we nice. wanted some scoops. So he's nice. Really nice good. guy. In fact, I remember <laughs> shooting with him, this one thing. And, and, uh, and we were in some sort of weird set where you were in a jail set here and right next door was the lawyer set. I write that was like a kitchen <laughs> set. And it was just so, you know, weird walking through these different worlds and to go to the jail set um, where I was interrogated. But um, he was lovely. He was truly lovely. Well, you work with so many amazing, talented people and you've worked for so long. Um, do you ever get starstruck? God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, whenever you walk into a room and you see somebody you recognize, you're always kind of like, oh my God, there's that person, you know? Um, I mean, I certainly had that the very first time I worked with Jerry Orbach because Jerry Orbach, you know, Mr. Lumiere. I mean, you know, it's just like, it's extraordinary. And, you know, and he was a song and dance man in, in, a, in a previous, and then that, and he was truly one of, one of the, I don't know, just nicest people. And he had a great tan and amazing sparkly teeth and sparkly eyes. And 
just nice. I mean, just a nice man. You know, I remember very early on, he, he gave me a, um, I was sitting with my wife who I had just met, you know, as you do, you're an actor. This is your wife. Hi. And then you sit down and you go. And we, we were shooting and he said to me, you know, you can put your arm around her. She's your wife. <laughs> and I went, oh, he goes, yeah, put your, put your arm around her. And so I did. And I couldn't have done that on my own as an actor who didn't know this person. But since he said it in front of both of us, you know, the permission was given and I could do it. And it just, it made, it broke the ice in a really, really great way. He was very generous that way, as was Ben Brad. He was very, very, just very, very generous, very, very giving, very, very, you know, very, I, I just, you know, and I, I always had that experience. You know, as far as Star Trek goes, Starstruck, I, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with um, Julia Roberts, uh, Angelina Jolie, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, um, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman, Meryl Streep. And, you know, more than being starstruck, you sort of feel this pressure to bring the game at their level because all those people walk in the room with ready to play. No, none of them are coming in the room half-assed not off book. I mean, they're, they're ready to play, you know, and, and especially someone like Nicole Kidman, I find that, you know, she makes you just go toe to toe in a really, really hard, great way. Not yeah. to mention Miss Meryl Streep, who, you know, is, is amazing to work with Kathy Bates, you know, first time I, I was very intimidated by her when I first started working with her and then I became, you know, less intimidated, but she always challenges you to bring your best, you know, Jessica Lang. You know, I had a very hard time sort of like allowing myself to be a, be her peer when we were working together. But you have to, you have to, you have to be their peer. Um, you know, just an, ama- an amazing person to work with, truly. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, being in the Ryan Murphy universe? I mean, it's like, it, that's another universe that you're a part of. You're a part of many, many universes. Um, but there's like, there's so much uh, Ryan Murphy, SVU crossover, like Chloe Sevigny's been on it, Sarah Paulson, Lily Rob, oh, yes. like a lot of people, you, you know, like so many people have been on SVU um, and uh, are on American Horror Story. So it's fun as a viewer of both. Um, how's that uh, franchise? <laughs> the Ryan Murphy world is crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy good, mostly. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mad ride in that, just the logistics of it are always mad because you don't quite know what you're doing ever and you don't get a whole lot of clues and you just kind of have to show up and work. Um, it's super creative. It's super challenging in a really good way. You're given great characters. You're given great opportunity. Ryan gives people a platform. He gives people an amazing opportunity to succeed. He he really is in your corner. Um, and I love the fact that he creates for all kinds of communities, um, you know, and also there's the, there's the rep idea, which exists in The Good Wife. It exists in Law and Order. This rep of actors, this, this community of actors who seek to cycle in and out and always show up everywhere. I mean, I was watching Evil. Oh, we Carol, I, I, I love that. I love that show. <laughs> which I love. But it's like, it's all the Good Wife people. It's like, up oh, and there. Where's yeah, Carol we're, Oh, it's probably Jack. Oh, there's there's Michael Emerson. Oh. Both both SVU alums, Carrie Preston, Michael yes, Emerson, yes. all SVU people. Yeah, and I always find I the it. overlap. My kind of uh, where my brain is is the SVU Sex in the City 
Oz. Those are my three New York, like, constant. <laughs> Those are where everyone exists. Or yeah. Seinfeld. Like, that's where everyone exists in my brain. It's really, it, it really interesting. And, you know, there are some poor actors who never got on Law & Order. And they really do. It, it's a thing. It's a thing. They don't, you can't talk about it with them. <laughs> you can't bring it up. You know, it's a thing. Yeah. They just sort of, like, eat themselves up and kind of go, I never got on Law & Order. I never, uh, I never got on Law & Order. Well, um, you got to work with a kid, you know, your daughter on this show. Does that change the vibe on a set when you have to work with a child? Um, And how is it working with her? I've I've always liked kids and always been fairly, you know, comfortable with kids. It's not a a thing that throws me off at all. And um, I, I tend to be an actor who I will go off script at the drop of a hat. If you let me, I will, I will go over there. And, um, so I love that kid energy that they don't really play by the rules and they don't obey things. And you know, it's like, like dogs, you know, dogs are the best actors in the world. They look where they want to look, they do what they want to do. They just, they're dogs. And it's, it's really admirable. And, and kids have that quality. And I, I, I like that. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I also, you know, you got to keep it G rated for a kid. And I get very protective about about that, you know. And so I want to make sure that their experience is good. And I'm very interested in in them having a good time. I, you know, I did I did inherit the wind uh, years ago on Broadway uh, with Chris Plummer and Brian Dennehy, and um, there's a kid named Connor. I can't remember his last name, but he was 12 at the time. Uh, and and a couple of kids in that show. And what I loved about kid actors is that backstage we're all just actors. We all sat backstage waiting to make our entrance. And there's no difference between Chris Plummer at 80 and Connor at 12. They're all just actors. And you turn to Chris and you kind of go, good weekend? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And you turn to Connor and you kind of go, uh, would you have a good good weekend? Yeah, yeah. What'd you guys do? Oh, I was hang out with some buddies. Yeah, me too, me too. It's the same thing. The, the, you know, they're actors. And and I love that about, about the world of an actor is that you, you don't have a age hierarchy. You know, you're, you're an actor. You're an actor. Yeah, which I bet kids love too, because it's you always just want to be treated like an adult, and that maybe that's one of the reasons why pe- kids want to be in that world so much. Um, do you like, like I said, your IMDb is like just so extensive. Like, do you have like favorite roles that you've played, or like, as I know you have played so many different things with Ryan Murphy and like, um, and Big Little Lies, so many different things. Like, do you have a favorite or a, or a top three? I mean. <laughs> You know, I I I, I do. I, I have parts that I that I really love playing. Um, I have to say, sticking in the Law and Order franchise, that um, that I played a schizophrenic in a Law and Order um, years ago, um, who was his own lawyer, and uh, it was a really challenging episode to shoot. And I remember uh, being very, um, I don't know, it was it was hard to do. However, uh, two things about it. One was. And Dowd played my sister. Yes, the great, the great, the great. And the Dowd. legend. Yeah, and we were in, we were in Garden State together, even though we didn't play together in the same movie. And I knew her big, big from Chicago. Anyway, she played my sister in that, um, which was extraordinary. Anyway, and I'll never forget. On my coverage, I had this scene where I had to turn around and look at my sister, and she breaks down and I break down, and every single take off camera, camera not on her. And out, full tears, full breakdown. Wow! Because she was supporting me, 
she was giving it to me. And I remember thinking, save it for yourself, honey. You got to save it. You got to save it for yourself. But she didn't. She was just like full on all the time. Incredible. Such a pro. Um, yeah. Such a pro. And you know that episode. So many people have remembered that episode and referenced that episode. And I think it's one of those things that has helped people who deal with relatives who are schizophrenic or who have an experience of schizophrenia, and they find it very cathartic or very moving. And it's not as actors, what we expect our work to do, but it's really satisfying when our work has a another effect beyond just entertainment, that it actually is therapeutic. And so I've always been proud of that episode for that reason, that it seems to have affected people in a, in a, in a helpful way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and the bookend of that is playing Liz Taylor in American Horror Story in yeah. Hotel. Kind of the same thing. You know, when we went into that character, I had no idea what that character was. Ryan Murphy just said, um, you're playing Liz. She has um, uh, Cleopatra eye, gorgeous. You're going to love her. Shaved head, gorgeous. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got as a character to go on. I was like, okay. And I didn't want to play it. I had no interest in playing it. I was like, I don't want to do this. Um, and I, I put off investigating and I put it off working on it. I was like, ah. And then when we got there, you know, and I got into my high heels, my Louboutins, um, it just kind of like, it just all came together. The character yeah. came fully formed, but I didn't, we didn't know that she was uh, on a, a, a gender journey, that she was a transgender character at that point. And I didn't know that. I, I thought this was someone who had a male, uh, a male life and a female life and didn't realize that she identified as transgender. And I don't think the writers knew that either. And that became a reality as we got into yeah. the episodes. And so my journey as an actor was also mirrored in her journey as a character it was really, really interesting. That was also a character I had a hard time playing in that I found it difficult to let go of of shooting days. I found it I found shooting days traumatic. I found the aftermath traumatic, um, uh, but really rewarding. And uh, and again, that's a character that a lot of people relate to and have come up to me and 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 said thank you, which again is a great sort of amazing it makes you feel like you're doing something useful in the world yeah that must and what do you get recognized sorry uh the most like on the streets when you're approached you know it's funny it's funny um uh charles abernathy the judge and the good wife um russell edgington the vampire king of mississippi um and usually liz taylor from american horror story um you know or sometimes larry from season one of horror story. It's, it's usually those, those two guys. Uh, um, I mean, I can tell a lot about a person. I, I can usually tell from 50 paces what they're going to know me from. If I saw you on the street before this SVU, I think it would, for me, have been true blood. True blood, Russell. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really funny. I mean, I, I can, I could almost, almost pick it out. And of course there are those people who completely um, baffle me and surprise me. And they're like, Oh my God. You are so good as Edgar Allan Poe. I'm like, what? <laughs> no one watched that. You watched that? You know what I mean? Like, good for you. I'm so happy you watched that. That's so hey. funny. Do you want to direct? Is that something that you want to do or not at all? No, no. <laughs> no. You might be the first. Uh, cool. No interest. I'm a writer though. And oh, so yeah. I, you know, I've I've written a movie uh, of mine, um, The Parting Glass, and was in it. And um, I've pitched a pilot that nobody wanted. Um, they all were like, oh, my God, an amazing pitch. And nobody bought it. 
And so I'm now turning it into a novel and I've written 800 pages and now I'm on my third rewrite. I'm hoping to get it down to about 450. Uh, it's a dystopian novel. Um, I write plays. So I've written two plays and uh, my friend Lisa Peterson, a play called An Iliad, which I do a one-man show. And then The Good Book, a play about the Bible, which I would love, which was done at the Berkeley Rep. And then we have a third play called The Song of Rome, about the fall of Rome, which we are going to be premiering in Romania uh, this coming up June. So I, that's where my creative other thing comes in is writing, not so much directing. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have the director bone. I don't have that desire. I just don't. I, I don't think I have the vision or whatever it is. I don't think, I don't think I have that vision. We don't want to keep you all day or anything, but are there any? Pro- Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Are there projects that you want to um, shout out, like besides the Nevers, which I know is is currently on, or is you know the Nevers? We 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 showed the first six on HBO, um, and then the next six we're finishing up, and I think it'll be out next April, May, June. Okay, um, not not up to me above my pay grade. Um, but wonderful actors, <clears throat> Laura Donnelly, uh, Olivia Williams, Anne Skelly, um, Amy Manson, uh, Ben, uh, Ben Chaplin, uh, Jim Norton, Tom Riley, James Norton, sorry, Tom Riley, just a, <laughs> really a, a great group of actors, great group of actors. Wow. And, um, yeah, and, and a really cool set, you know, I mean, um, Joss Whedon was our first showrunner and then Joss, uh, left. And Philip Gossett came in, uh, and it's a really, it's really a cool female team. I must say, I'm loving watching this industry finally wake up. And I've been lucky in my career to be directed by some great female directors. Uh, we have a, a great female DP. I love female camera ops. I love the fact that a lot of the first ads are female now. I love the fact that a lot of the gaffers, the, the focus pullers, are, are girls or women. It's fun. it's about time, and I love it. And the same with people of color. You know, when I worked on the good the good fight in New York, I was so gratified to finally see crews that weren't all white. And you know, it's just so nice to finally see the industry changing. It's got a long way to go, but it's going there. It's moving in the right direction, and I'm I'm thrilled about that. What a dream guest. I love him. Like, he's just fully up in London at 11 p.m. just chatting away with us. With love stage him. blood on. <laughs> yes, with stage blood on his hands and in his beard. Like, I mean... And we stopped recording, but I think you'd all like to know that to top off his night, he was going to go watch Drag Race. And we couldn't yes. believe it. <laughs> right? He goes, oh, all right, I'm going to go watch Drag Race. We were like, <laughs> now you tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, check out Dennis O'Hare in uh, the second half of the first season of... Of the Nevers on HBO. It sounds like a cool show. And, and I he love is, is so talented. Talking to someone who doesn't want to be a director, because that is something that I personally would never, I would yeah. never want to do. Yeah, but it yeah, seems yeah. like every actor professional is like, I can't wait to do that. So I thought I was like lazy or something. And then no, no, it's no. like, it's just not, that's not in your heart. Like how no. you always say to me, I'm like, Lisa, what you should do is you should just make a spreadsheet and put all <laughs> your passwords in it. And you're like, Kara, that's in your heart. That's not for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I get that, you know? So it was just cool to talk to someone that is so accomplished doing so much. And is like, I'm happy doing yeah. this. Thank you so much. I don't need to 
Yeah. And he is working and he has a beautiful husband and child, a beautiful family. He's a wonderful person. And theater. Um, and he's right. I don't know. I just, um, for what a Christmas miracle, I guess I would say. Yeah. Someone yeah. Um, that Well, prolific. I'll say one, if we want to jump into our postmortem, I'll say one thing I learned is that many actors were about to become priests. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a pretty, that's, well, you know what's funny? It's like how a lot of comics were lawyers. Mm. Like a ton of comic, like Guy Branham, uh, Geraldo, like all these people, I guess, were in law school or like the Lucas brothers, like were in law school or became lawyers. And then, but that kind of makes sense to me because it's like argumentative, analytical, you know, like becoming a, like wanting to be a priest. I just don't know that because I, like I said, I'm, I'm not Catholic. So I don't really think of. I think of Catholic Mass as boring as fuck, not like a show you put on, but you know. Well, a show is Dennis a great has my eyes. way to look at it because to me, like religion's always like rules. You have to do, st- like it doesn't see- seem as free, but for him, he was like, you get to chat a little, get the crowd going, you know? Like there's <laughs> a, a project show, smoke a cigar. <laughs> like, uh, I guess, yeah, I never, I never saw it that way. I mean, what we learn every week I would have to say is believe victims. Yeah, believe victims. <laughs> believe victims. They have nothing to benefit from lying. But I will say, just if you are trying to vigilante some shit for your sister, just let's just double check. Let's just confirm that you got the right person, you know? Yeah. And we learn, as we learn all the time on this show, that eyewitness accounts are not accurate. Like everybody had Sam pegged as the guy who was beating up this priest, and that was not it was not true. So, you know. Also, we learned that Warner wants to fuck Finn. Hopefully, maybe. I think we did. <laughs> but I was a actually, question for one of them when we get them on for sure. And maybe things have changed. But you know, I've uh, been on a tear this month. I have been watching all SVU twenty four seven in the home, and in the home. Mer- <laughs> Melinda <laughs> talked about a husband in one of the episodes. Oh. And so she had been married. We don't know if there was a divorce. He could have died. I mean, who fucking knows? But she does mention a husband in previous episodes. But it doesn't mean they could have an open thing. They've been together a long time. We don't know. Who knows? I mean, there's just like a whole vibe with the way she's talking to Olivia about how she's going to get some over the holiday. (laughs) And then she's talking to Finn. Uh, Maybe it's also just some good old fashioned flirting. Like maybe it's like, I'm married. You know, you got a girlfriend or something, but let's just have some fun at this morgue Christmas party. I also learned uh, that I have a goal and my goal is I want to work so much, hopefully that I don't remember <laughs> that I just like, yeah. I'm like, wait, what year was Lisa, that? That, that would be impossible for you yeah. though. Like you just have such a good memory. You'd be like, no, remember on day four of shooting when we <laughs> ate this at that, like you just like have such a good memory for everything. And I think that there's no way that you'll work so much that you'll forget stuff. You're just going to always just be that girl. I actually brought up a show that I worked on someone with, and we're still all young, but I was like, oh, remember we did that game show and they had no recollection. They're like, can you tell me about this gig? And they did multiple episodes with no recollection at all. That seems wow. cool. Maybe one day. I would love to just yeah. mix it up and be like, wait, was that on SVU or original? I know, to I do so know. much Dick Wolf <laughs> that you're like, was I on Chicago Med or was that criminal intent? Like, what? And then, of you course, know. I told him the one theater he doesn't work in Chicago. I was like, oh, of course, Steppenwolf. <laughs> of course, the one he probably liked. And then you said, what about this bar? And he's like, everywhere but there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, why can't we connect? Um, <laughs> no, Northwestern to me is like 
I don't know a lot. I like it. I like the idea of it because I bet those people could have gotten into I- more traditional Ivy League, quote unquote, fancier places. And the Northwestern is fancy. There's just something about choosing yeah. the Midwest, being a wildcat that I just respect. And when I was growing up, like my town was very obsessed with IVs and like that whole college thing. But Northwestern was like right there. Like you might as well have been going to. It was so, so impressive to get into Northwestern. Oh, it's definitely I didn't even impressive. apply. Really? Yeah. No, I wouldn't have gotten into Northwestern. I mean, I always think about if I didn't um, drop out of Iowa State and like finished with my degree in Ames, Iowa, what my life would be like. And like worked at the call center. Like I... Just life goes so many ways, uh, but yeah. I do wonder if I would have ever figured out my heart or given up on my dreams. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Why Who can't knows? we just have a sliding doors technology? Like, why can't they figure that out for us? We want to. I want to see what my life would have been <laughs> like if I graduated from Iowa. Well, I'm glad that you chose this path and you were able to tell me about a man getting a crucifix rammed down his throat this week. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I care about. Yeah, if anyone and, um, is artistic that listens and you want to give us a recreational drawing that we can oh hang, I want it. I want it. <laughs> you want fan art I, of, a, of a death by crucifixion throat? Yeah, maybe I can okay. be a little angel saint flying watching. I don't know how talented <laughs> <laughs> you are out there, but... You know, send it, send it over, send it over. A PDF We're about to get some whack ass fan art. I can't wait. That's actually what I. Yeah, we want fan art, bitches. Get us fan art. <laughs> we want fan art, and we would love to touch on this. Um, it, you know, you had to wait a week. You know, time machine stuff. But a Duggar, a Duggar is in jail. Finally, sentenced. Josh Duggar found guilty of possessing and downloading child pornography. Do you know how much he got? I don't know. I don't know what his sentence is yet, but he's okay. been uh, found guilty. In fe- he's been found guilty in 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 federal court of um, you know his uh, possession of child sex abuse okay. images. Eighteen and- minutes ago, Jim, Bob, and Michelle break their silence. Oh, oh, they actually didn't do the worst thing. Hearts and prayers to anyone who has been harmed through sexual child abuse material. It's interesting that they know the correct. Wording. <laughs> they have some kind of PR. Someone from TLC is helping them. The I'm sure. fact that they use child abuse images, I am like, yeah, kind of impressed with the Duggars for a moment. Because he was trying to claim. One of our listeners wrote us in and had like kind of a personal connection to a witness in this case, and said he was trying to claim that like other people had access to his computer and that those were the people with the images. And it was like, okay, dog, that's not really Oh, no. His wife, Josh's wife, Anna, just welcomed their seventh child in the fall. And you know what's wild? Her name is Madison. Your husband got busted on Ashley Madison. Why would you name your kid Madison? Oh, my God. I thought you were saying her name. I go, no, it says Anna. (laughs) No, 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 the baby. The baby's name. And, and I can't take credit for that. That was a listener that drew that brought that to our attention and was like, don't you think it's crazy? And I was like, yes, that is crazy. <laughs> As like, parents, wow. we will never stop praying for Joshua and loving him as we do all our children. In each of life's circumstances, we place trust in God, strength, refuge, prayers. Okay. I mean, wow. I don't know, but I'm glad he's found guilty. I like when people are found guilty of crimes they've committed, you know? And uh, and yeah. in our Kyle Rittenhouse world we live in, we never fucking know what's going to happen. Our judicial system is a joke so much that nice to just hear someone getting caught. 
And now we talked about him in, we talked about the Duggars in our episode Patrimonial Burden, but then we also talked about child sex abuse images in Downloaded Child. So some people were saying they hope that he has to give some restitution to the victims of his, you know, the people that are in the images. Wow, we have such smart listeners. Yeah. All right. Well, let's ease into our, what would Sister Peg do, girl? What do you got for us? Every week we give you a, you know, an organization, a book, an article, something that will give you some more information on the topic that we touched on in today's episode. And I wanted this week to highlight, honestly, I first heard about this, uh, this organization through a joke that my husband does on his album, but it is an actual, uh, very important organization. It's called the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, and it's SNAP. And so the website is www.snapnetwork.org. And um, it's the oldest, largest, and most active support group for women and men wounded by religious and institutional authorities. That's priests, ministers, bishops, deacons, nuns, coaches, teachers. Like, it's very inclusive. And their goal is to provide uh, support to survivors through their hotline and to advocate for reform of statute of limitation laws that limit uh, criminal prosecution and civil responsibilities for these abusers. So um, again, yeah, if you want to learn more, check out www.snapnetwork.org and that will be up on our Instagram stories in our WWSPD highlight. Yes. Thanks, Kara. Um, And then for next week, we're doing Hell's Kitchen. That's a season 20, episode eight. Um, Great episode. Watch on Hulu, Peacock. You can rent stuff from your library. Go to a friend's house. Last episode, last episode of 2021, baby. Will be Hell's Kitchen? Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. messed up is an exactly right production if you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com follow the podcast on instagram at that's messed up pod and on twitter at messed up pod and follow us personally at kara clank and at glitter cheese as always please see our show notes for sources and more information thank you so much to our producer annalise nelson and to our mixing engineer ryo baum and to henry kapersky for our theme song and to Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everyone at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun!